Warning, Tongue and Geek contains heavy spoilers. If you haven't read, watched, or played the content being reviewed this episode, know that we will definitely spoil major plot points. Also, this show isn't for kids. We use words like and and it would take too much time and effort to edit them all out. Please don't tell our moms. Welcome to Tongue and Geek, where two more white guys on the internet give their unsolicited opinions on all things geeky. I'm Isaac. And I'm Tyler. And we're joined once more by friend of the show, also Tyler, a.k.a. T2, a.k.a. Diet T. Say hi, Diet T. What's up, guys? I'm back. All right. Today we're reviewing The Batman, the 2022 DC Films directed by Matt Reeves, written by Reeves and Peter Craig, and starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, and Paul Dano. One of the Tylers, you want to take the background? I don't care which one. Uh, well, I assume that uh, T2 doesn't have the background, so I will do a little bit of background myself. This for was originally... once! What? What did you, you scream like Nothing. a dumbass? Nothing. <laughs> for once. <laughs> oh, oh, for once. Uh, then I'm prepared-ish. <laughs> okay. Whatever. I'm I'm a doomer now. I, nothing matters. Um, <laughs> That's a good tone to set for this specific episode. <laughs> yeah, no joke. <laughs> Can you fault me, though? Can uh, you fault me? Uh, anyway. Anyway. Give us, give us that sweet, background sweet background. On the, yes. Back, this was originally not going to be directed by Matt Reeves, not starring Robert Pattinson. It was going to be the Batflick solo Batman movie starring Ben Affleck and originally directed by Ben Affleck. But because of all the drama that I don't want to get into because I'm just so fucking sick of the discourse in the DC fandom about it, Ben Affleck got burnt out, dropped out of directing it, and then dropped out of it altogether. And during the course of this, WB approached Matt Reeves like, hey, can you uh, take the helm? And he's like, I'd love to, but I don't want to do it the way you want to do it. If I'm going to do a Batman movie, it's going to be mine and mine alone. And like, I don't want to bother with any extended universe bullshit and um to their credit they're like fuck you know batman's our hot ticket so go ahead do it fast forward through a couple of delays because of you know a little thing called the pandemic and we have the batman so there's it's batman. good it's uh very fucking and good it's, it's phenomenal it's excellent jumping and, uh, the gun this, i guess yeah. <laughs> let's rate this see, sucker and be done with it <laughs> See, because I haven't gotten Isaac's take yet because he has been radio silent about it. So I'm wondering if he has a hot take or not that he's going to drop on us. I have several hot takes that I'm going to oh drop God. throughout this. Oh God. No, no, no. Let I don't me have say, the energy. No, let me throw this out here. <laughs> I enjoyed the film. I had fun watching the film. I think there are several problems with it, but I think it's a very well put together, interesting take on Batman that really pushes the limits of how dark we're willing to take this character. Okay. Okay. Well, um, are we, what are we going to get into first? Are we going to get, uh, oh, well, T2 already said that it's great. I said it's great. You said it's good. What would you have caveats? So uh, what's the, uh, I guess jump what's the first do a little synopsis, I guess, jump in 
describe a little bit before okay. we get into analysis? Uh, so the Batman opens with Ave Maria. Is it Ave Maria plays a lot? Was it in the opening yeah. scene? I only noticed it twice, um, but I I wanted to get another viewing in before this, but I couldn't find the time, so I don't know specifically when Ave Maria it, plays. It felt like a lot. Time. And for some reason, Ave Maria is like a meme song in my head. So I kind of cracked up a little every time I heard it. But whatever. It opens with someone watching somebody through a window, like through like binoculars or a sniper rifle. It's not really clear what they were using. And we find out that it is the Riddler who is watching his next target, who is the mayor of Gotham City, which he kills in the opening scene. We cut to like Halloween night. Batman beats up some thugs in a really cool really fun uh, introduction to Batman in this universe. I loved when he came out of the shadows just like slowly. It was like a fucking dog out of hell coming to drag sinners into the darkness. Like it was That's when I knew. That's when I knew that is his his monologue, his voiceover and his introduction. That's when I'm like, oh, this is it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is it. Because he has this great monologue, and I've seen people critiquing it like, oh, this is so edgy, like middle school. It's like, Batman's kind of edgy middle school. I'm glad this movie's embracing that. Uh, He's got this whole thing. It's like, they think I'm in the shadows, but I am the shadows. Talking about how he's instilled fear in all the criminals in Gotham. And, you know, we're seeing crime all over Gotham. We see, like, some vandals uh, spray painting a wall. We see, like, somebody robbing a convenience store. And all of them look up and see, like, the bat signal in the sky. And they freak out because they're like, oh, shit, Batman's coming. But he only shows up to one of the crimes, which is a bunch, like, this gang. Was it the Jokers, boys? It looks like a bunch of Jokers clowns. Um, No, there's no real, I mean... There's no real connection to a specific villain to those guys. They were just like a themed gang. Juggalos. There was a there was a gang of juggalos <laughs> who just show up and uh, chase after this Asian man. It was one of the gang members initiation. Like you have to beat the fuck out of this guy. And Batman shows up and just goes to town on these gangsters. They're at a subway station, middle of the night. There's a dark hallway, total black. We've seen Shadow all through this monologue he's doing. Like, you don't know where he's going to pop out. You don't know which of these crimes he's going to stop. And then you just hear his slow, heavy footfalls coming through. He's not, like, rushing in to save the day like you would expect maybe a more heroic take on Batman to be. Like, he's doing all of the drama, all of the, like, showmanship to, like, really instill the fear of darkness in these guys. God, it's it's a great opening for Batman. Agree, 100%. And you see the legitimate fear uh, on the, the face yeah, of the game. I mean, and is she, you know, he's, like, kind of uncertain already, but then when Batman shows up, he's automatically like, oh, shit, what have I done? I have messed up royally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that new initiate goes running. I, what I love about like the first like 15 minutes or 20 minutes of the movie, it, just, it sets the mood so goddamn well. Yeah. It, it opens atypically in a way a superhero, modern superhero movie wouldn't open. You're in this creepy POV looking through goggles into somebody's window. It's voyeuristic. It, you know, something's off. What's this all about? And then it's like this slow buildup to a murder scene, like something out of a, a serial killer thriller or something. Mm-hmm. And then we get establishing shots of Gotham, which Gotham is pitch perfect in this movie. It's such a character in and of itself, which it hasn't been in my opinion, since fuck the Batman begins really it's, it's dark and it's raining and it's got this like neon sort of blade runner esque 
glow to it and it, it doesn't just feel like new york or chicago or philly it, it feels like gotham city and then batman's monologue starts and just the montage of the criminals thinking they might see him in the darkness but he's not there it's it says it's at such a good mood and it, it instantly hooks you in a way that a lot of modern superheroes don't start off that way they start off kind of just like here's the character here is what they are here is the here is the plot. This is more of a mood building piece than anything. It also establishes immediately what Batman's arc is going to be throughout this film. And you don't know until you get to the end. At first, mm-hmm. you're just thinking it's like, oh, we're doing like the Batman. Like I wear the darkness to, you know, strike fear in the hearts of criminals and everything. You just think that this is another version of that. But by the end of the film, we see how that's changed and how it's impacted not just him, but Gotham as a whole. And it, it just it sets an immediate tone of like this is a dark, fearful, crime ridden, terrible, terrible place to be. And that's Gotham. It's it's New York City on its worst night. Something I like about the way Gotham is depicted in this and it's part of the way Batman's character is, I guess, for most of his existence, just, you know, in comics and movies and everything is he's going after not petty criminals, but, you know, low level criminals, regular, just robbers, violent people, things like that. Mm-hmm. I like seeing that. Could you see Tony Stark rolling up his Iron Man to stop a group of gang thugs randomly in a subway? Right. No, like that's it completely changes the tone of what the MCU has set and the bar and just kind of like the generic standard, which I feel like we say, well, I say we, like I've been on this podcast a lot, but I feel like you guys say, and I think it too. <laughs> he's, he's gunning for your spot, T1. He's going to take it. He's going to usurp you. As the there's there's plenty of seats at the table, T2. There's plenty of seats at the table. As much as all three of us love the MCU, we also have plenty of valid critiques of it, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of created this almost generic superhero formula and this film is the antithesis of that in the best way possible. The, yeah. Like, and like, I, go ahead. I, and I don't mean that too, because I, I f- always feel like I'm making coverage, like covering myself whenever I'm like critiquing the MCU or mm-hmm. certain things by have, by prefacing with, I'm not just trying to shit on the MCU, but I mean, I'm really not. But at this point it's over God, 15 years old now. It's not slowing down at all. You either have to be a completely blind fanboy to it or just not care. But there is just an overall blanketing aesthetic and tone to 95% of it. Right. And it it gets kind of tedious after a while, even though the individual movies or shows might be great. Except for Egg Rock. Fuck. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there, Tyson. Don't you worry. We're going to get there. You're you're invited to that one. (laughs) Please. And God. Like um, with the M- real quick one last note on the MCU before we jump forward, the MCU for all its flaws, I think the reason that they're so obvious and so glaring is that the MCU set the standard for modern superhero films. Like this is the way people are going to think about superhero movies from here on out, for better or worse. So when we talk about everything that's going on, all these other superhero movies that aren't connected to the MCU or even ones within the MCU that break the formula. It's going to sound like we're shitting on the MCU, but it's just because, like, it's something different than what we're used to. Different. And we're, yeah. we're celebrating that difference. Exactly. So when when this movie starts off and there's just there's so much texture 
and moodiness to the image and like the way the cinematography yeah you guys have a running joke me from cinematography but i'm fucking film that i talk about cinematography all right so shut up it's good in this movie (laughs) i'll let you guess on this one god the greg frazier he's the guy who uh he just shot dune which also looked fucking beautiful um what he does with shadow and light the way he captures the the bat suit because that's another thing i love about this movie is that this is a batman movie like Bruce Wayne is in the bat suit more than he's Bruce Wayne in this movie. Oh, yeah. He's, he's Batman like 80, 85% of the time. Bruce Wayne is barely in the movie. Thank goodness. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I agree with that. And oh, boy. I, the bat suit is. What? 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 I'm sorry, but I we've got to talk about Bruce Wayne and how he looks in this movie. Robert Pattinson killing it killing the role love it he's doing great he looks like the most edgy emo boy band member in the world when you take him out of the suit he's got like, the don't... dirty un- like the dirty unkempt dark hair he's got the dark dark circles under his eyes he literally never smiles he's just like oh he's so fucking emo edgy bitch boy and I love it because it's like (laughs) finally finally we're just addressing the fact that Batman is an edgy bitch and that's just his whole thing let's just go whole hog on this don't hold back any of that I don't want any of that charming billionaire frou-frou shit give me the edgy broken boy who's like so broken up about his parents death 20 plus years later that he's still just crying about it his portrayal of Bruce Wayne to me felt more realistic of what I think someone who went through a, a trauma like that with a family setting like he would have had, you know, being a millionaire, billionaire, whatever, I guess a billionaire. I think it's more realistic to what that would be, but -hmm. it was still a weird adjustment, not having Bruce Wayne be this charismatic. He's still a socialite because we see him at events and people are taking photos. Yeah. Like he's a celebrity, but it felt so opposite of every Bruce Wayne portrayal literally in the history of of Batman presentation, especially in, you know, in, in TV and film. And I think that was something that was off-putting to me. And I still don't know if I love it or not. I I do. I I think Robert Pattinson killed this role. I think he was fantastic, especially as Batman in the suit. But I'm still kind of back and forth about how I feel about his Bruce. Not so much the acting job he did as Bruce Wayne, but the way the Bruce Wayne character was written as an edgelord and an an emo boy (laughs) instead of big, strong, masculine, charismatic bruce wayne like we've been used to it was different it was an adjustment tyler classic settled this one for us (laughs) i i can understand being taken aback by the portrayal of bruce wayne in this movie because been we've had so long of you know the playboy persona that he puts on um, when he's not in the bad suit Um, michael keaton was kind of sort of like this back in the 80s and early 90s but he was more of like the the eccentric weirdo kind of portrayal mm-hmm. he wasn't like the reclusive nobody sees him he has to put sunglasses on in his own house in the day because he's so <laughs> used to the night persona but i love it because and i think it's i know we're having fun and that's what what it's all about especially with meme culture and stuff like edgy boy emo boy but he's not emo he's just fucking damaged and obsessed 
I love the detail that he has to put on the eyeliner before he puts on the cowl because every movie ignores that. Every movie puts eyeliner on the actor to put on the cowl so their eyes are blacked out. But when they take it off, it's magically not there. So he's not like wearing eyeliner because he's going to an MCR concert. (laughs) Let's (laughs) clarify, though. He doesn't have to put on the eyeliner. He's choosing to make that a part of his costume. I guess, sure. (laughs) (laughs) But... I, I like that so much of Bruce Wayne is internal in this because he barely says a fucking word. It's like he's like this caged thing that doesn't know how to interact with anybody because he's so obsessed with the mission. That's what I another thing about what I love about the portrayal of the character here is because even in the in the Nolan trilogy where it's supposed to be more grounded and realistic, once Batman you know goes through training and becomes Batman, he's kind of like already perfect Batman. You know, he's... He's Batman and he can do no wrong and he's always right and he can kick ass and he's like, he's the man on a mission. This is Batman still figuring it out. This is Batman not knowing his effect on Gotham, the people, and what he could be doing different, which ties into the the, the denouement of the character. Yeah, it's set two years into his first appearance, so... Like, this is still an early Batman, like, Gotham's still not sure what to think of him, and he's still trying to figure out what he wants to be for Gotham. I love the world building in this movie, and how all the characters interact, and how it drops all of this, you know, comic book lore into it without it ever feeling like a wink, or, like, feeling like it's stretching to, like, here's this character, here's this reference, the the world building feels so natural and how like from Batman it spreads out to Gordon to Penguin to Catwoman to Falcone all of that feels like a natural web that just branches out from the central figure of Batman instead of like here's this character now remember them or here's here's this reference you you know that you know it's the world building is mm, chef's kiss and it does it without being an origin story which like thank god yes thank god <laughs> uh i, I saw a tweet it's like the batman is my favorite batman movie now just because i didn't have to see martha um wayne's fucking pearls fall on the fucking wet pavement <laughs> for the millionth time <laughs> Uh, we just don't need it. Like it's just we know. Yeah, like everyone you know why Batman knows Batman. what happened. And if not, if you're taking little Johnny to this movie and he doesn't know the story of Batman, first off, one, don't take little Johnny yeah, to this movie. It's PG thirteen, but it Johnny. should have been rated R. Like it is both- dark and and scary for kids. But yeah, just tell him. Oh yeah, his parents were killed. They have a lot of money. That's all the background you need. <laughs> he dresses a bat and beats up the mentally ill now. It's really weird how still so many superhero properties have to tell the origin. And like, I get it. The origin story is, is a gold mine for writers. You know, they can, they can hone that kind of thing into a script really well. And it's, it's, it's an easy, I don't want to say easy, but it's a tried and true, like emotional narrative to, you know, tell the hero origin, but go back to Batman 89. That was, that wasn't an origin movie. That was the first like big budget, serious live action Batman movie. It didn't tell the origin because I don't want to sound snotty, but like the movie kind of just took it upon itself to have the audience figure it out, Mm. you know? Yeah. So I would love for 
a superhero movie trend to start where like they don't need to tell the origin. We could just start with the character as is and then go from there. At least for the more established ones. Like I don't need to see Spider-Man's origin story again ever. Like, <laughs> Listen, a hundred years from now, they're going to be actors cashing big checks saying with great power comes great responsibility. And they're going to be like, check, please. Oh, royalty checks because they're going to do a Spider-Man origin story every so many years. Just, <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm probably. Watch it until I'm dead, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to happen. It's yeah, you're right, and I'm, I mean, I'm that way with Batman. Like, I'm, I'm watching a fucking Batman movie until I die. Can you imagine? I don't care how if, many there are. Can you imagine if they full on reboot the MCU in like 20 <laughs> years? They just don't do the MCU again in like 20 <laughs> <I> years. <laughs> I can't handle it. We're going to be like 85, you know, just, and we were on our fucking feeds. And just like, oh, Disney to Disney, Disney plus plus to reboot the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Batman is called by Gordon to the scene of the murder that we saw at the beginning of the film of the mayor also a great entrance god there are so many great shots in this because batman is just (laughs) wading through like this hallway full of cops all of them are giving him like death stares because they clearly don't want him there but gordon's you know clearing it you get this immediate understanding that like batman works with gordon and not with the police (laughs) like yeah which i love how this movie really highlights how the gcpd would would totally not be okay with their fucking captain or lieutenant or commissioner bringing on this weird fucking guy who dresses like a bat to crime scenes, a you know? Like, who's beating the shit out of people without any jurisdiction just gets dragged onto a crime scene. So I mean, this movie, and then I read the graphic novel Batman Year One after this. Mm. I want more Gordon content. Hell yeah. I don't, I don't care if it's in an HBO Max series i i need more gordon content i thought oh. they did a good job at making you really like the character not that he's an unlikable character anyway but there was something about the way he's portrayed in this movie he, that he, i wanted i want to know more he's walking a very thin Ugh, i'm not gonna say that he's working a very thin line <laughs> i was gonna say thin blue line but nope yeah, yeah. <laughs> um between like doing his duty as a police officer and following the letter of the law and also like fighting against that to like get the crime solved because he trusts Batman. Like this shows the, it's the perfect example of like his relationship with Batman. It's like this guy's weird. He's creepy. Nobody around here trusts him, but God damn it. He gets results. So I'm going to put my faith in him. Yeah, and I love the the there's because there's an undercurrent of humor in a lot of this movie that I think um, it's it might be hard to pick up on because the atmosphere is so oppressive. It's definitely hard to pick up on. <laughs> but the, there's, has definitely some. Some, there's definitely some wry humor here with how almost every single interaction with Batman, Gordon, and and, and the police. He's basically just wrangling the cat that is Batman, just like <laughs> yeah. being his shield. Like, all right, man, come on, we gotta get out of here. Just like, he's gotta have Batman on the leash, though. He calls Batman man like uh-huh. five times. Like, come on, man. It's it's really funny how he's just like, yeah, this guy's weird. I know, but trust me, he's cool. He's like he's like doing the whole 
trust me, he's cool thing with, with his, his cop. <laughs> under and then he's turning Batman and he's like, come on, man, I vouched for you. Come on. You make it sound like he's showing up to places with like Gary Busey or someone. <laughs> someone he, he has to worry about and try to wrangle, but is also people. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's cool, man. Don't worry. He's cool. And then Gary Busey's off doing some crazy things. I don't want to compare Batman to Gary Busey, but I just. Oh, when are we getting Gary Busey in the cowl? God damn it, Hollywood. Get on it. Gary Busey as the Joker, please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Tell me that wouldn't be fucking phenomenal. But yeah, Batman comes onto the crime scene of the Riddler's first killing of the mayor. And this is where we get established something that's not too common i feel like in the batman movies that this is an actual like detective story like there's going to be a series of crimes with clues and leads to follow and pursue it's not just like he's trying to stop the joker from blowing up this thing the next before you know his next strike no there's an actual series of clues and like trails for batman to follow and he's gonna have to piece all of this together which i thought was a really cool it was a lot of fun that we're actually seeing like oh here's the world's greatest detective yeah that's um that's what a lot of fans were so hyped about leading up to the movie was that it was promoted as a batman movie that's primarily a mystery thriller detective story and not like an action movie and i mean they delivered on that which is pretty ballsy for a studio to greenlight a multi-million dollar superhero movie with like pretty much the world's most popular superhero movie and not like overload it with action. Mm-hmm. There is action in the movie and the action's good. Especially, especially for three the, hours. The Batmobile. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I, so I hate long movies. <laughs> not in, I, just in general, I don't have the attention span to watch most three hour movies. Preaching I to bored. the hard whatever happened to the hour and a half movie it, that's a different different story it, but so you know i go into this and i see the runtime and i'm just thinking oh my god it's three hours long almost three hours long is this there's no way it can be good i'm gonna get bored in spots mm-hmm. and i did not get bored the way it's paced and the way it's set up as a detective movie and detective story yeah. really helps the pacing for someone like me who who normally would hate watching a three-hour movie See, this is what I don't get about you. You always talk about how long movies, you just don't have the attention span. But who went to the theater to watch all extended versions of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which are all over four hours long? Man, <laughs> you did. That's a different beast. <laughs> I, I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy so much. Like, that's, I'm, that's the I'm only just saying, way. It's, it's kind of funny is, is all I'm saying. It's kind of funny. That, but it, I I'm going to say... Just, I agree with you that I also sort of have a low tolerance for longer movies. I'm all, I will also go a little further than you in that. Yeah, I really enjoyed it on my first viewing and I was invested the whole time on my first viewing, but I'm afraid that that may be because it was a mystery and a detective story and I didn't know how it was going to play out. And now right. that I have seen it and I know the twists and turns on like following viewings, it's going to lose my attention. I am worried that like it's going to lose some value with like consecutive viewing. Also, can you imagine if this is shown Possibly. on like we'll see, you know, on cable? It's going to be like a four-hour cable broadcast. Yeah, they and they'll cut out like, like fifty minutes of it, probably. Yeah, well, I mean that won't matter because they chop up movies so much on cable now with commercials that like even movies that are ninety minutes are like three fucking hours on TV now. Also, it's who ridiculous. watches cable? Just stream the damn thing. 
I, I know, but believe it or not, some people still use cable. Don't ask me who or why, but they do. Boom. I'm just saying. <laughs> is the boomers. I wonder how many boomers well, we I have. Holla to our boomer fans. Um, I'm going to say zero boomers. <laughs> zero goddamn boomers. I actually which looked is fine at the analytics, me. at least for Spotify. We've got nobody over like the age of 35, I think. <laughs> which is perfect for your energy, I yeah. might say. Yeah, obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, let's yeah, let's just kind of run through the the rest of the just general plot real quick without spoilers, particularly. God, there's so Investi- much. I know. Inve- Gordon brings Batman in to investigate the murder of the mayor. We soon uncover that the Riddler is targeting certain people connected to a restoration project and the renewal of Gotham, the renewal project, and it's got city officials connected to it. Uh, the crime element, the mafia, and maybe even Bruce Wayne's own parents. Mm-hmm. And through the murders, more clues are uncovered, and Catwoman gets involved. We don't know if Batman will be able to stop the Riddler in time. Let's dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. let's jump into Catwoman since you bring her up. So he meets. He's actually investigating everything. He goes to like this seedy not club. Uh, run by the penguin who what gosh what's the actor's name for the penguin on feral yeah he fucking killed it like he was so fun completely disappears you would never know it's colin feral it's he's insane yeah he's got a lot of prosthetic makeup on making him look like the penguin he's just this big over the he he's the one person in this movie who's totally just like having a ball with the role that he was given like he's not like taking himself too seriously or anything he's like yeah i'm a fucking batman villain baby let's go all out let's ham it up <laughs> and he's just having so much yeah, he's, fun he's hilarious the whole time he's hilarious. hollywood hunk colin farrell is playing <laughs> the penguin uh sad little fact about this he fought tooth and nail to be able to have a cigar in this film and warner brothers told him no uh, yeah, yeah. for some fucking reason this okay Side point, this movie should have been rated R. Like, it's already got a lot of dark themes in it. It's a murder mystery with, like, very gruesome murders in it. The only reason it's not rated R is because they cut away from a lot of the more grotesque elements of the murder. Or they do, like, little visual tricks where they'll blur out things. It should have just been full-on rated R and shown us how dark this world is. Because the whole story is about, like, corruption and violence and evil in the hearts of men. Limiting a story like that to a PG-13 rating. Uh, this movie does it well, but you can tell there were moments where they really wanted to go further. I don't know. I, You know me, I'm the, the gore and violence guy, but I don't think as, as heavy... As the subject matter as these movies can have, I don't think they tech they really need to be rated R. I th- I think they hit it just right with this as as far as what they showed and what they didn't show. There is a scene. I think if it went, I think if it went that extra mile, it you there, know, there is a scene, Tyler Classic, where a man is eaten by rats alive yes, on his is. face. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like that is about as dark as we can show with a Batman villain. And the only reason it didn't go rated R is because it cuts away from it and we just see the characters reactions to it. Yes, that does happen. Still, we should reiterate. We said it earlier. This is not a movie for kids. I no. know people think, they think, oh, it's a superhero movie. It's a Batman movie. I can take my kids. Would not recommend it for kids. 
not even so much for like the gore or violence. Well, it's not really much gore or the blood or violence. It's just scary, to it be is. honest. It's a lot so of would not recommend it for kids. A lot of dark, heavy stuff. Yeah, it's very tense, heavy, anxiety riddled yeah. movie. <laughs> With depressing themes about the nature of man and corruption. But hopeful but ultimately hopeful in the end, I will say, when we get there. At times I would I would, at times I would say the movie's downright claustrophobic. How so? Would you agree? Just the way it's filmed, um, the way we're constantly in basically Batman POV, the way rooms and architecture are portrayed it feels almost choking in, in its atmosphere it's never daylight there's maybe like one complete daylight scene and it's like fucking gray overcast mm-hmm. it's like perpetual night in gotham city yeah like it gets to the it gets to the point where you're just like ah, I just, like, <laughs> give me give me a ray of light let me breathe which is why i love every time that batman and catwoman meet up on that construction site area Dawn is just peaking. We get we get the pink and the reds of the dawn, like maybe symbolizing that uh, the, the the growing dawning of of Batman's realization that he needs to change his ways, or maybe the feelings that Catwoman stirs in him. I don't know. I have to see it again to really wax philosophical about it. I'm gonna throw some things out here about Catwoman, and this is where maybe the first of my critiques comes in. This is perhaps a smaller one, but it is still frustrating. When we're introduced to Catwoman, she works in this nightclub for the Penguin, and she works alongside one of the people who knows some details that Batman needs to know to solve this case that he's on. She not only works with this person, but it's very heavily implied that they were in a romantic relationship. Like, it's another, like, working girl there. And she refers to this woman as, like, baby, and, like, she's very physically affectionate with her. Like, all signs indicate that these two are dating or something. Like, they're close. They live together. But once this woman goes missing, throughout the rest of the movie, she refers to this woman as her friend. And, like, this isn't so much a matter of the storytelling itself I have a problem with, but the fact that, like... This is clearly being done to avoid having a lesbian character in this film so that we can keep a PG-13 rating. Uh, maybe uh, that might be the case. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I did read that Zoe Kravitz played Selena as bisexual. I don't know if that was the creative intent from like the writing and directing standpoint. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong in that. But I know that she said that she played it as bisexual. So I don't know, like, creatively where that lands. So, uh, yeah, you might have a point there that they kind of skirted that detail to not run up against any problems with the rating board or it very maybe potentially controversy from parents who, like, yeah. oh, and a yeah. cat woman was a, was, a, was a lesbian. Or so they can cut out parts of it and sell it to China. Uh, maybe. Um, that hasn't the news of that hasn't dropped yet. Like it did with like other movies that were released to China. So time will tell. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to put my stamp on it, that that's exactly the case, but it might be the case. So you might have a point there, but it's definitely heavily implied that they're in a relationship. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Definitely. Like from that point on though, she just only refers to her as friend, friend, my friend. And it's like, you're okay. You're fucking just God damn it. Just say you're fucking. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's one of my lesser gripes with this film. It's it's a frustrating, larger scale problem with Hollywood rather than just this film alone. But it's it is infuriating to see that here as well. 
If you're on the gripes now, why don't you just lay them out so I can debunk them all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, gripes. God, this is jumping ahead in the plot a bit, but possibly the biggest gripe I have is that the movie pulls its biggest punch. This is a film about corruption. Um, the Riddler is going around killing multiple city officials like the mayor, uh, the DA, does he, the chief of police at one point. Like he kills, he kills mm-hmm. many, many like government officials and reveals publicly all of the corrupt things that they were doing, being a part of this renewal project, stealing government and public funds to f- do all their own illicit activities. And what we find out is that Thomas Wayne, Bruce's father, who was running for mayor back in the day, hired this criminal Falcone to intimidate a reporter who had found out information about Martha Wayne, Thomas's husband, and that she had spent time in an insane asylum. That's like the big reveal is that Bruce's father paid Falcone to intimidate this man and Falcone killed him. And at first we're led to believe that like Thomas knew this would happen. Thomas had sent him in. He didn't tell him to kill him because like, of course he's not going to go on the record with a criminal being like, yeah, off this guy. He's going to be smarter than that. But Falcone clearly indicates that like your dad knew what he was getting into when he hired me to do this. He wanted this guy out of the picture. But then the movie pulls that punch later when Alfred tells Bruce that no, your dad trusted this criminal to intimidate. He made a mistake. He didn't. He never thought Falcone would have killed the guy. He never thought this career criminal would have killed a guy in order to keep him quiet. He it, It's played up like Thomas Wayne was a good man. He was a good hearted man who just wanted what was best for not just his own mayor campaign because he wanted to help the city, but also for his family. He didn't want his family to get hurt by these terrible rumors and this backstory that they have. Like it tries to make it seem like Thomas Wayne's a good guy. And if the movie had the balls to actually have Bruce Wayne question his entire family legacy, the whole reason he became Batman in the first place is because his parents were killed. If he found out that his parents weren't the, like, idolized martyrs he thought they were and had to question his whole reason for being Batman, that would have been amazing. But instead, the movie pulls its biggest punch here. I will say that i actually completely understand uh, where you're coming from i could see that feeling like something that they completely pulled a punch on and i might not entirely disagree but there are certain things that fans are precious about as you know about things and you know me i'm not like precious about canon and lore and continuity but just speaking personal preference as a fan myself, this is just me. Like, I don't know how I would personally feel if a Batman story just said Thomas Wayne is a piece of shit. Other Batman stories have done that. The Joker from 2019 did. Um, I think the Telltale Batman games did. And a couple other pieces of media. I'm not totally against the idea, but I don't, I don't really like it that much. To counter your problem, which... It's it's valid. I'll give you that. It's valid. <laughs> I like that they walked back on it because you all, one always believe Alfred. 
believe Alfred over the fucking crime boss, you know? I don't see it as them saying completely that Thomas Wayne, oh, he was he was just a good guy, you know? I see it as them saying that even good men could be pushed to the point where they make a f- terrible fucking mistake and get blood on their hands. I, I don't see it as them excusing what he did so much as just driving the point home that Gotham can't, you know, not get its bloody handprint on somebody. And just as a scene of, of Bruce reconnecting with Alfred, because their whole relationship in the movie has been cold on Bruce's part. <laughs> Fucking Bruce. That whole scene as a way to like tie their characters together and connect them by having Alfred tell Bruce the truth and have an open heart with him, I think really worked because that was the first time in the movie that I teared up. Notice I I said first time I teared up again <laughs> later on, which uh, we will get to shortly. That T, what's your thoughts? I think your point is valid, Isaac. Uh, I can definitely see, you know, you would think they would go the way of following that story and expanding on it, kind of making that a big thing of maybe his parents were murderers or murders by association or whatever. But I think about me personally, I just don't want that. I don't <laughs> think, I, I don't think, I think if I had watched that, I would have been, you know, in the theater thinking, Oh, they're, they're trying too hard to be different. They're trying to too hard to rewrite this story. I don't like this. I know my own bias and feelings in that. And I think personally, I wouldn't have liked it if they had followed through. That's just me. But I think your point's very valid that if you're making this big of a deal of it and you're making it this, you know, an integral part of the story, but then they just kind of cut it off. So, yeah, it's just, and, and uh, sorry, I just, I just wanted to say before, uh, let me interrupt you. Um, I think if that was the truth, I think it would have taken the movie off the ledge into just genuine grim, dark territory where it was just too much darkness and too much oppression and, and, and too much storytelling edginess for its own sake. I mean, that's debatably true anyway, but <laughs> we can get into that later. Um, it's just this movie. And maybe it's where I'm just not as huge a fan of Batman. I like Batman. I like certain Batman stories, but I'm not I wouldn't consider myself a huge fanboy. This movie is a story about corruption and not just corruption, but like discovering corruption. All of these different figures that we see, the mayor, the D.A., the chief of police, all of them are presented to the public as these like good, honest people who are looking out for Gotham City to the best of their ability. And we find out through like the detective story how seedy and grimy and awful they are and how much blood they have on their hands. And this felt like the turning point where it's not just like impersonal anymore. It's not just like us seeing uh, this random mayor character, uh, this random DA character. Suddenly it's like, oh, Bruce Wayne's parents, the whole reason for his motivation of cleaning up this city were dirty in the first place that it feels like the core of this movie to me. Like this is the moment where it's like, oh, shit, this is how far the corruption goes. And for it to like backpedal on that feels like a betrayal of the theme of corruption in the first place. It's no longer like everyone has dirt. It's like everyone has dirt. And Thomas Wayne, a good man, made a mistake. You know, he was a good guy, but he made a mistake. 
it's just I, I get your point, Tyler, that you made that like Gotham can get its hands on anybody. Even the best of us can fall. It's very similar to the Dark Knight with Harvey Dent. But like, I, I just I can't help but think of like the feeling I had when that gut drop I had when I found out that like Thomas Wayne's dirty Thomas Wayne, the whole reason that Bruce became a superhero in the first place, he's dirty. Like, where do we go from here? What does Batman think? What does Batman feel like? This is the moment, the moment where his character is pushed to its limits. And instead of having him resolve that in his own way, we have an outside character. We have Alfred resolve it for him by telling him, no, that's not true. To me, I feel like if they had pursued that and really made that kind of the center point of this entire movie, if they had, you know, went absolutely as far as they could go with it, because it's it's just kind of, you know, it's not the the climax of the movie where that's revealed, which I feel like that's where it should be. If it was a larger point that was pursued, you make that especially because we know this it's already been set up for multiple movies, make that your climactic almost cliffhanger of we could go this whole movie talking about corruption and then, Oh my God, Batman finds out that his, even his parents were corrupt. What happens? We find out in the sequel. No, or if it was, no, I wouldn't have wanted that, but it is the act two darkest not moment. Cause like we get to the point where the hero has fallen. This is where the hero falls. Act three is where it comes back around and the hero like rallies and triumphs. I wanted to see how Batman rallies and triumphs after such a heavy fall. And instead it softens the fall for him. Yeah. He triumphs because (laughs) he doesn't have to. Right. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. 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 I mean, I get it. It's yeah. It's 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 perfectly reasonable issue to have. Um, I just interpret it a different way. But I mean, I, I too just I mean, completely I, I would like to see where that had would have gone if they pursued it to the end of its logical conclusion. But I'm happy the way it played out because the way the movie is structured, I don't know what that revelation would have done to Batman as a character at that point in the movie, because he was, he's on a certain trajectory and he's so he's so much on a presser for this. That would have just like pushed him completely over the edge, which isn't the point of what they were doing with the character. It was, they were taking his, his, his real living father figure that he has in Alfred and reconciling the dead father through him, which I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of, the Batman Alfred relationship, I'm just a sucker for anyway. It gets me right in the heart. It plays on all the right emotional heartstrings for me mm. where I'm, I'm not disappointed in that plot development. Where I imagine that goes, like if they had pursued it, is I picture Batman killing someone and then having that moment of, I'm no better than any of these other people. I've got to turn it around. That's where I, in my head, and this is me I guess doing fan fiction out loud, <laughs> but that's, that's where I imagine it going is I picture Batman actually killing someone on purpose, then having that moment of clarity of no, this makes me just as bad as them. It doesn't matter if blood was on my father's hands. That's just, that's where I picture it going. If, See, you know, yeah. Yeah. That, that that's or hanging up the cape and cowl and him needing to heroically put it back on in the last act or, or something like that. Yeah. See, yeah, that's, you two are taking it into the way of like, this would completely break him. And I think that's part of it. But like, 
I see a very real potential for this to be a redemptive thing for him because yeah, especially actually. especially this version of Batman, this version of Bruce Wayne, he is broken by the loss of his parents. 20 plus years later, he is a broken shell of a man because he lost his parents. And for him to like realize that they weren't these perfect idyllic figures that he's created in his mind to realize that his obsession with their loss has been like not only hurting him, but based on a lie, it could be incredibly freeing for him as a character. This could be a Batman that we have never seen before. A Batman who's not doing this because I don't want any other children to lose their parents in Gotham City. It could be a Batman who's doing this because I have seen the darkest that this city can be even within my own family. And I refuse to let that be the Gotham that continues to exist. Like this could have been a whole new direction for Batman, a whole new motivation that I have never seen before. And I was so excited for it. And it just, I wish they didn't have this twist at all. If they were going to backpedal on it, like if this twist wasn't in here at all, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't have this problem. You know, if we never heard anything about Thomas Wayne being corrupt, it'd be like, what the fuck ever? Who cares? But like the fact that they hinted at this and then backpedaled it, that's what's infuriating. Cause it felt like we're leading up to this and no, we're not. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, fair, fair, fair. Just going to have to agree to disagree because we can harp on this for the rest of the pod. We really can. So we should move on to the Riddler. Yes, let's talk about the Riddler as a character. I loved it. I think uh, T2 said to me when he saw the movies, like, I think that was a perfect modernization of a villain. It was awesome. And I'm like, "Mm, I agree. Uh, (laughs) Making him a masked deranged serial killer who likes to play games and you don't know who he, what his end goal is, why he's doing what he's doing, what he looks like. And I love that you only really see him through screens. Most of the time, mm-hmm. the TV screens or cell phone screens and stuff like that. It really adds to the creepy horror movie factor of the character. Yeah. I've seen a lot of comparisons looking through review review of this movie's depiction of Riddler to Joker from like the movie Joker in that they are both depictions of like white male anger towards a society that's wronged them. And this is a whole can of worms talking about the movie Joker and how it depicts white male anger that we're not going to get to in its entirety because this is not a Joker review. But regardless of directorial intent and what messages they intended in that movie. There was a large percentage of people that saw Joker and saw it as validating for this sort of like burn it all down. Mass murder is okay because the system's so flawed mentality. They saw it as like validating this white male anger and violence Again, that's a whole can of worms on whether or not the movie's actually endorsing that, that we're not going to get into because, again, this isn't a Joker review. But compared to here, what we're seeing instead is, first off, instead of the protagonist, we're seeing the antagonist is being fueled by this anger towards society. So that automatically makes it like, okay, we're not endorsing this. This is the bad guy. But it still plays very much to the frustrations that we have. Like the Riddler is very much... Someone who has seen 
and endured all of the horrible things going on through corruption in this city and like as horrifically violent as he gets you always understand why he's doing what he's doing because yeah this city's corrupt to its core and something needs to change now does it need to change through mass murder and serial killing and at the end of the movie trying to assassinate a new mayoral candidate who's not done anything yet no but you do get enough to understand where he's coming from and this comes to maybe i don't know how to feel about this i'm very emotionally conflicted about it and this isn't just this movie it's batman villains as a whole so much of batman is centered around these sympathetic villains who are mentally ill or traumatized by some element of society they're outcasts they've been broken by the society that they live in and just pushed to their limits into this violence i don't know how to feel about that because on the one hand a sympathetic villain is a good thing it's it lets us understand their motivations beyond just oh they're the bad guy and we want to see the good guy beat the bad guy but on the other hand, when you're constantly depicting the mentally ill and the downtrodden in society as psychopathic murderers, I don't know what to take from that. That sounds positive. It, it, see, it becomes less a thing of like, oh, look how terrible society is that it's done this to this person. It's more like, be careful who you pu- push around because they might be fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, valid. I think yeah. that yeah, that, that exact statement is valid. Be careful who you push around because you don't know they might be crazy. And I'll lead into my thoughts about the Riddler character with that. I think this is one of the best modernizations of any, it could be hero or villain that I've ever seen. It absolutely horrified me. I don't get unsettled that easily by movies. As you know, Tyler knows, like we, we watch a lot of fucked up things, you know, like it, almost nothing bothers me, but this felt so realistic and so much like it could easily happen. And, you know, like these crazy fringe people are out there and they have these followings and they do things like this. I get annoyed when stuff is too on the nose. This wasn't what I would call on the nose. This was just realistic. I'm in my seat, like squirming back and forth because it's, it's unsettling me so much. This portrayal of the Riddler absolutely horrified me even down to like the look it, he had like the military field jacket and that cold weather mask and stuff like that. All are, you know, it's like stuff you could buy in an army surplus. A militia wannabe. Yeah. Like an alt-right militia wannabe. Somewhere where someone who would do things like this would easily pick up gear readily available and as we've seen over the past we'll say decade or so crazy people who are out there get followings these cult of personalities are super dangerous and super scary by just being a cult of personality i'll say this too and the theater was already uncomfortably warm for whatever reason (laughs) and that only added to my feelings of discomfort watching this character, but it's discomfort in the best way possible. It was just so good. And I tried to put into words when I got done. And that's when I sent to Tyler, it was a perfect modernization of the Riddler character. It's the antithesis of Jim Carrey as the Riddler. 
but whom I love, by the way, props to Jim Carrey. It, he didn't need to be silly telling jokes and the crazy laughs. It was so scary to me because it was real. It felt realistic. And I think this Riddler is fantastic. If the, uh, my review of the Riddler character, uh, <laughs> five riddle, five riddles out of five, <laughs> but it was amazing. I could go on for days about it. I'm not going to, I've already went long too long. Yeah. I, yeah. I, oh man, it was so just off putting and creepy. And he's like, he's going live. Like he would do a Facebook live or an Instagram live too, but it doesn't feel like a, Oh, look, they're incorporating things that millennials and Gen Z do by going live on social media. No, it was, it wasn't that it was realistic. And this fucker's on 4chan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, he's in some crazy message boards and on the dark web and his, Oh, it's everything about it. That's my thoughts on the Riddler. I thought it was amazing. All right. Uh, I will agree with T2 over here. And um, I will be the one to touch Isaac's more socially aware um, apprehension about the character and villains and this kind of stuff in general. Yeah, let Um, me say my point's not specifically about the Riddler here. I think the Riddler has done very well and not ever too sympathetic. Like, you understand, like, why he's doing what he's doing, but it's never like, oh, poor Riddler. It's more like, we all feel this anger towards corruption in society, but not all of us are going to go to these insane lengths to get there. But this is more Mm -hmm. like a broad statement i'm noticing with batman as a whole yeah again i see where you're coming from because on the surface it's it's a valid thing to catch like hey you know why are all these people basically mentally ill but also portrayed as villains it's not just batman it's pretty much every superhero though um every superhero's villain has the backstory of they were fucked over by the man or by society or somebody cheated them out of something or something like that how do do i say that how do i put this as delicately as I can without sounding like a certain type of person. Um, I I understand how this can make people feel icky once you notice the trend of it. And I understand that we just taking entertainment out of it. We as a society have so much fucking work to do in embracing and not embracing is the wrong word, but understanding the mentally ill and how to help them. But at the same time, I just, I can't let that invade fiction because at the end of the day, it might sound reductive. It might sound dismissive and I don't want it to, but to me at the end of the day, these are all stories and you have to take them as they are. And that's pretty much where I, I, I draw the line. You I, know? I can't accept that. We've had this discussion multiple times throughout multiple episodes, but like, I am so far into the camp of like the things that we, the media we consume impacts and influences the mindset that we have in reality. I, if we're just going to, and, and I don't this disagree as, with that either. If we are just going to dismiss this overarching problem as, Oh, it's just a story. Then we might as well stop doing this podcast because why are we talking about these stories? If they're just stories, I know this is a big, this is basically a nerd ethics question I'm bringing to the table, but like, we've got to it. Like, I'm not sure that there's a, it's all negative. I'm sure like Batman wouldn't have endured so long if it was, or maybe it would. I don't fucking know. Our society's pretty fucked up, but like there's, there's a message going on here about mental illness and the trauma society places on us. And 
it's very morally muddied and I'm not sure how to interpret it because I want to interpret it as, you know, society has pushed these people to the brink. Look how bad society is for making it. We live in a society. Uh, Look at how bad all of this is to make these people go so far. But when the consistent storyline in Batman is not looking, we don't look at the people who push these people to the brink. You know, when you think Batman villains, you don't think of like the goon that ruined Two-Face's life or like the guy who killed Mr. Freeze's wife. You don't think of those people. You think of Two-Face and Mr. Freeze. You think of the mentally ill who were pushed to their limits. And when they become the antagonistic center of this franchise... It presents a certain message and I don't it's it's an uncomfortable one that I'm not entirely sure how to take. And I I sympathize and I understand with your point. I really do. But I just can't help but feel if because because I know you're not positing an answer and I'm not positing an answer either. But when these, when these kinds of conversations come up, I always think like, well, you're coming from a very specific personal reaction to how you're taking the material and how it's presented, but other people don't see it that way. Other people might find great comfort in these characters. And I, and I don't mean comfort in like the edgy, like Rick and Morty. Oh, you're, you're too smart to understand Rick and Morty kind of way. I mean, in a more three dimensional engagement kind of way where they, understand the character and they sympathize and empathize with them, but don't endorse them kind of way. Like uh, the fan base around Harley Quinn, for example, mm-hmm. like H- Harley Quinn is a murderer and she's mentally damaged and a fucked up person. But so many people find strength in her perseverance and her, her certain outlooks and stuff like that. And they're not all like getting the wrong message from her or anything like that. To that point, I say, how are we supposed to tell moving three-dimensional stories if we can't get at this kind of stuff in fiction? How are we going to write a hero and villain story if we're too afraid of how the villain might come across insensitively? You know, I'm not saying that writers shouldn't think about this kind of stuff because they should, but only up to a point but is is what I'm saying. My point you isn't know? like how we're depicting these villains. My point is more that like, who are we making the villains? We are making the mentally ill, the villains in these stories. Like Superman's biggest bad guy is Lex Luthor, a multi-billionaire jackass who thinks he's better than everybody else. I don't see, have any ethical problems with Superman punching a billionaire in the face every issue. I'm cool yes, with that. At the same time, but at, at the same time, you can get, you can put that realistic spin on Lex Luthor and just say he's a sociopath and all sociopaths shouldn't be depicted as, utterly narcissistic pieces of shit, you know? But Lex like, Luthor... We're going into wild <laughs> tangents, but Lex Luthor is also saying, empowered always, by society. Something. He's not at the bottom rung. He's I like, know he's not at the bottom he's rung. He's at the top. <laughs> I know. That. He, was, he was president for a while. Um, anyway, I, I this was... This, there's no clear answer to this. 
again, I'm not a massive Batman fan, so I'm probably not the one to even attempt an answer at this. It's just a trend that I've noticed with Batman, because I'm going through Batman the Animated Series for a later episode we're doing, too. And it's just it's an interesting and perhaps problematic trend that I'm noticing in this franchise that I wanted to bring up here. As far as the Riddler himself goes, I think in this film, very well portrayed. He's very clearly this sort of white male anger of I'm so frustrated with society that I'm going to kill innocent people over it. They they hit that on the mark. This very scary, frightening thing like like Dot T said, this very scary, frightening, real sort of personality that we are seeing very frequently in real life. I, we could go off on this this deeper tangent um, like we could go off on the other point that you brought up before, but we'll move on. I love the final the final face reveal of the Riddler because I know who I know what Paul Dano looks like, but mm-hmm. just the way it's handled in the movie, he finally finishes most of his plan. He's caught and you see him being arrested in this in this diner when the, when the camera's pushing in on his face, he's just a guy. He he's just a nerdy looking guy. He's a dweeb. And in a in a film that doesn't have a, such a firm grasp on it on its tone and intent, that reveal can maybe be kind of unintentionally funny. Like like that guy was yeah. was the villain the whole time. Like Kylo Ren in Episode Seven. <laughs> Fuck you, Kylo Ren. <laughs> Fuck, he's not. Yes, he is. He's that, not at all. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's the best. That Star Wars he weighs in. I will die on that hill. Okay, Kylo die on it. But <laughs> so when with the Riddler reveal. When he was revealed, the way it's portrayed cinematically at first, I thought, oh, they've got the wrong guy. (laughs) This fucking dork can't be the villain. Where the fuck? Yeah, like they've they've tracked it down and like they're going to bring this guy in, but he's not going to be, he's not actually going to be the Riddler. He just happens to have clear frame glasses. (laughs) And then when he is, I'm just like, okay. But yeah, and that was was something just kind of odd. The way it's presented you know, it's this big build. And then all of a sudden it's like, da-da, here he is. And it's just, like you said, just some guy sitting in a diner. And I'm like, so did, were they like led astray? Were they led <laughs> to believe this is the, him by the actual Riddler? So I thought that was, that was interesting for me, but that's exactly how I felt is at first I thought they had the wrong guy. It really sells just how, you know, this kind of person can be anybody. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't have any dis- I'm not trying to knock the the looks or lack thereof of Paul Dano because I know a few people who would jump his bones. Um, shout out to you, Paula. Um, Paula Dano. She wants to be Paula Dano. <laughs> but you know he's he's not like a cackling maniac when they catch him. He's not spouting cool villain dialogue. He doesn't have like a scar or anything. He just he gets slammed on the counter and he just has this weird fucking look on his face. This weird smile. He's some guy who's on Facebook. Yeah. He's some fucking 4chan radical that managed to do what he planned to do. And when it's revealed that he radicalized people and like they're fucking showing up for him, like that gave me a little bit of goosebumps when all the fucking Riddler goons just oh, started showing up. That was a very so clear. Like, oh, fuck. That was a very clear, very intentional reference to the January sixth like insurrection. There's no way that they were not referencing that. 
I don't know if they were or not because of the the way the shooting schedule was interrupted. Because I think they started filming this before. If it's that not, happened. that is the biggest fucking coincidence ever, or a horrific indictment to our society <laughs> that we accidentally did a Batman <laughs> movie before the Batman movie came out. But but either way, accidental or not, it fucking gets the point across. And radicals can be anybody, and that's. This is uh, it's as long as they're all white, dudes. Sure, <laughs> as long as they're all angry white men. Yeah, they can look like, like any of us. All of us angry white men. All the people. <laughs> yeah, Paul Dano kind of looks like you, T two. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> he has a way better uh, hairline than I do. <laughs> anyway, you, you do have was, a cuter face, though. What I was going to say, and that's kind of a, a look at modern society on. Think back through history when we think of bad guys as in like we're in a war, like we're in World War Two and the Nazis are the bad guys. We have this clear image of like this is a Nazi and then, you know, we're in Vietnam and it's like this is what the enemy looks like. But now it's like violent, crazy murderers and like, you know, people that are radicalizing these armies are literally all around us and they can be anybody and we would never know. And that's what this says. Like, that's what the Riddler says about modern society. And it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> See, now I, I am going to have to debate this point with you, Dot T, because I think it's kind of the, I think a, I was sort of joking with the whole white boy thing, but like, I think it kind of is also making a very specific message here of the kind of person who gets to this sort of radicalization, because yeah, all the guys that we see who come to that, big finale scene and try and kill the new mayor elect. They're all a bunch of white dudes. They're all wearing this sort of like military fatigue. Like they bought it at some military surplus store. Oh, yeah. And the got- mayor elect is black, by the way. Yeah. That, it's that a black is. woman. It's a very, like this all seems very intentional. Like the way these people are depicted. Like, yes. Uh, if you saw one of these in on the street without like all of this stuff on, you'd think this is just some run of the mill schmuck, but like, the fact that they're all dressed the same in these like military fatigues with like they're all white dudes. They're all getting like secondhand stuff like this. I think it's showing a very specific kind of person. It's not just like any of us can become a villain like this. It's like there is a very clear, distinct part of society that is going to enact this sort of violence and in this form. And I think it's yeah. I think this is very much a story about white male anger in particular. Like if you don't see that in this story, I think you're maybe missing part of it. Yeah, so and it, I think with the the radicalization part, especially because they're all wearing the green masks, to me that adds like the level of anonymity behind it of these people are they're wearing this mask and which is, that means they're a follower of this insane person. So I to me, I interpret it more as radical people are all around us and it's terrifying. I think that's also true. I think radical people are all around us. I think it's also just a matter of you can spot them if you notice the trends. I think I think yeah. this whole thing, if you follow the clues that have been left, like that's left throughout this movie, you can spot them. They're pretty easy to spot. Typically, uh, they're wearing glasses, flip flops, Gremlins t-shirt. You know, <laughs> Jesus. 
Uh, I'll, I'll allow it because I, I, I compared you to Paul Dano, so I'll allow yeah. it. So yeah. you'll let him call you a radical terrorist? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give him a noogie uh, after we log off here. I kind of want to just get to the emotional climax here. Um, the second time where I shed a couple of tears. In the beginning of the movie, uh, in Batman's first entrance, when he's beaten down the, the muggers... You know, who are you? I'm vengeance. After that, he's referred to as vengeance the whole movie because he keeps going around saying he's vengeance. And Penguin keeps mocking him. It's a vengeance. Hey, I love how Penguin don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> he's the only one who's not afraid he's of Batman. He's the only one having it. fun in this movie. And it's so good. <laughs> he's the only one not afraid of Batman. And it's great. Yeah. Batman's running through his fucking club, beating the shit out of everybody. And he gets the Penguin. Whoa, whoa, slow down there, sweetheart. Like, he doesn't skip a beat. It's amazing. <laughs> Even when he hunts um, him down on his fucking Batmobile in that badass car chase oh, scene. Oh, God. Oh, we skipped the Batmobile scene. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get back we'll to it. We'll circle back. back. Let's finish this. <laughs> Let's wrap up plot stuff, and then we'll hit the high notes. He says he's vengeance. People refer to him as vengeance. His whole mode throughout the entire movie is just that one single track vengeance. Like... He's not. He he doesn't have a personal touch. He's just this this thing, this this creature of the night. He doesn't make any kind of connection to anybody except for Selena throughout the entire movie, and presumably his entire two year career as Batman. During the funeral for the mayor, he Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne garb is walking by the crowd, and he hears the ramblings of some random person. You know, oh these rich assholes. You know, fucked a lot of them. They all deserve to go or whatever. He's fighting all of Riddler's goons. At the uh, the venue of the mayor-elect, he gets the shit beat out of him. He saves himself with what looks like adrenaline, but it's probably not to Venom uh, for Bane. And he's on the brink of beating a goon to death before Selina stops him. And then you see that it's the same guy from that funeral. And he says that he's vengeance. And that flips the fucking light in Batman's head and makes his entire world come crashing down. And like, just as he was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, (laughs) and I'm like, Oh, it's so good. I love that. This climax deals with really big circumstances. Um, the flooding of Gotham, uh, the the Riddler had that as a a whole end game the whole time. And Batman couldn't figure it out. It has these big stakes, but it doesn't focus on the stakes itself. It focuses on the character and emotional stakes. So while Gotham, yeah, is flooding and we get a couple of big, huge shots of Gotham flooding, all of the action in the climax is just in this one place. And it's just a fight between a couple of goons. But the real climax is Batman having this epiphany and, and, and knowing what he has to do next. There's a bunch of people down on the, on the ground. The water is flooding in. There's an electrical cable that's about to touch the water, going to kill everybody. And just it's this, this great wordless sequence. He climbs out there. He cuts the cable with his um, battering chest piece. That was a knife the whole time. Gets electrocuted, falls in the water and just leads people out like like a fucking hero that he should have been this whole time. He doesn't just and lead what, them out. He leads them yeah, out yeah. while holding a flare. A flare. He said he was the shadows. The light yeah, the becoming the light. Yes, I, I shed a tear. The, the great little touch of the mayor's son. You see Bruce just giving him like the sad Bruce eyes of the whole movie because he's like, that's me. <laughs> and he's approaching everybody as they're going to drown. And they're afraid of him. 
because he hasn't given him a reason not to be. And like the, uh, the first person to reach out their hand is that kid. After that, they all start following him and he's got the beacon, the flare, and he leads them all out. And that's when his second monologue starts about how I've been doing this all wrong. Maybe there's a different way. There's this great shot of him lowering somebody onto a stretcher being airlifted and they don't want to let him go. It's that kid. No, it was a different kid. It was it was a girl. Yeah. No, I thought it was a boy. I'm going to have to watch this movie. I thought it was a girl. They just hold each other's arms for a while. And it's like. It's just it's such a perfect ending for the character in the movie to end on that note of him realizing that, oh, God damn it. Like, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. I can be something else. I can be something better. Just the fact that this movie that was has been so heavy and brooding and dark the whole time has this ending of of light and hope and Batman realizing that I can connect with Gotham. I can connect with these people. I can make them see something else in me that's not this scary thing and i'm gonna try to do that i oh i love it love it that to you want to jump in before i do go ahead i was just gonna say um we kind of jumped over this when we were talking about the riddler this is especially powerful because batman's previous ideology of you know, instilling fear in everybody. What we hear at the beginning of the movie, that's what inspires the Riddler in the first place and all of the Riddler's followers. Like, good point. Yeah. And they're meeting in the, in Arkham Asylum. Like, the Riddler is talking to Batman as if they've been partners this whole time. Like, the whole time, you kind of get this idea of like the Riddler's sort of like teasing him and leading him on, sort of like the nah, 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 you can't catch me thing that you would expect from a Batman villain. But it's actually the opposite. He's giving him all the clues that he needs in order to enact his plan. He's the one who's leading Batman to the places he needs to be in order for his ultimate plan to come together. When he meets him in Arkham Asylum, he's talking to him. And for a second, you think that's what he's saying, because he actually says, like, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne. And you think, oh, fuck, he's figured out who Batman is and he's about to reveal it to everybody. But instead, it's like... Bruce Wayne's the one we couldn't get. And you have that sigh of relief of like, oh, thank God he doesn't know. But then you're like, wait, we couldn't get? And he goes on to talk about how like, we did this together. This wasn't possible without you, Batman. You inspired me to do this. You were the force needed to see this come to fruition. You just see the disgust and horror in Batman's face as he realizes that this whole mentality of instilling fear into Gotham in order to try and make things right was what led to this ideology that the Riddler has been using this whole time. I am going to instill fear into the corrupt of Gotham in order to make things right. The fact that that happens and is immediately followed by Batman being told explicitly by one of Riddler's followers that they are vengeance using his catchphrase. And it drives home this whole point of like, Everything that happened in this movie is Batman's fault and he has to do better. He has to change. Otherwise, this is just going to keep happening and keep getting worse. Yeah. Yep. It's also the irony that like the Riddler's final victim or supposed victim or final target, I guess, was supposed to be Bruce Wayne, this billionaire who he hated and just needed murdered. But then. It turns out to be the person who inspired all of this the most. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like Bruce Wayne slash Batman inspired him on multiple levels, you know, inspired him on Bruce Wayne, uh, you know, as Bruce Wayne, 
to commit these violent acts and inspired him as being Batman to be vengeance and to carry out these acts. Yeah, because this is definitely an arc that is leading up to Bruce becoming more of a person Mm -hmm. or at least more of a figure in Gotham. And shit, I fucking brain farted. That happens every goddamn. <laughs> I'll pick up God for you. I'll pick up for you while you swing back. Um, oh. I was gonna mention. No, no, Tyler, it's infectious. God damn it! Oh, no, Jesus Christ! Oh. We're probably too busy thinking about how much Kylo Ren sucks in the Star Wars. <laughs> That's movies. it. That's what I was gonna say. Uh, that- You're both gonna get a spanking. Well, I mean, try and spank us in a Star Wars review. <laughs> You'll never do it, you coward. <laughs> oh, I'll do it. And I'll do it like a fucking champion. <laughs> Count Dooku is better than... Uh, Count Dooku is an old fart who doesn't know a goddamn thing. He rules. He's the most underrated. He doesn't do anything like every fucking prequel villain. He doesn't do a goddamn thing. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Batman. There was a point. <laughs> Something about There was Riddler. a point. Oh, that's what I, the point I wanted to make. In that scene in Arkham Asylum is also when any re- remaining shreds of sympathy for the Riddler's plan completely falls apart. Because up until this point, he's been targeting the corrupt. He's been targeting like public officials and crime bosses, people who arguably had what they happened to them coming to them. You know, he did he it in the most of their corruption. Yeah, he you could say he did it in the most horrific way possible that also endangered countless innocents around them, but like he he was targeting the corrupt. But at the finale there, he's not targeting the corrupt, he's targeting everything. He is just this wild angry maniac who is like, we've got to burn it all down. Just burn it all down. Kill everyone. Destroy Gotham in order for us to start anew. Like biblical plague, like God flooding, literally like flooding the earth. There is definitely an allusion to like Old Testament God flooding the earth to remove sin. Like Mm -hmm. that is where we are at with him at the end. And it removes any remaining notion that this guy could have a point. And it's like, yeah, this is the kind of character we're dealing with. This is the kind of what anger we're dealing with, where it's not just I want to stop the bad guys and see justice prevailed, but I just want to see the world burn because I'm so mad. Yeah. And that's that's what makes villains, you know, villains It's that so many of them have plans or ideology that even though they might go about it in a fucked up way, the audience goes, yeah, man, they have a, they have a point though, you know, but the, there always has to be that point where they, they sidestep their own logic and just become a complete fucking monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Riddler may talk up his whole thing about like, I was an orphan and the powers that be in Gotham fucked me over and fucked everybody else over and nothing ever gets better. So you're going to pay a price. All that amounted to is him just being a hypocrite because flooding Gotham, who's that going to hurt? The people he's supposedly standing up for. And killing a mayor-elect who, for all intents and purposes, has shown nothing to indicate her own corruption. Just immediately assuming that because she is holding a position of power, or attempting to hold a position of power, that she is corrupt. Like, refusing to believe that things can get better. Like, he immediately just assumes there is no fixing this. We've got to destroy it all and start over. This also, yeah. there's a Batman trope 
not just in the movies, it's in all Batman media, whether it be, you know, video games, comic books, the animated series, whatever. I'm so tired of any villain that's, I place bombs throughout the city that will, <laughs> <that> will detonate. <laughs> that's one of those. I just, I, I never it. want to see it again. Like it's it. so, it's so overplayed to me. The I've placed bombs throughout the city and they're going to detonate because of X reason. If you don't do this thing, that's, that's one of the things that gets me is I'm just, I'm over that. I've got I'm just, two boats, Batman. <laughs> that's one of my favorite justice league episodes is the Joker planted bombs all over the fucking city. And the whole justice league has to figure out where they are. Yeah, now that I'm thinking go. about it, there's like multiple scenes in the dark knot where like, it's just the Joker placing bombs in places. Yeah. <laughs> like there's yeah, multiple scenes where he's just placing bombs in places. I have parked several cars throughout the city that have bombs that are rigged to explode at midnight. Your girlfriend and Harvey Dent, also two boats. <laughs> so it's a trope that appears in this movie as well that I just, I'm just over bombs throughout the city in the Batman universe. Now, to be fair, he did it in a way that was unique in that he wasn't just bombing like buildings and stuff. He was bombing like the infrastructure of Gotham. Yes. Like the one I, part of Gotham that's doing its job because it's a seawall that's keeping the sea out. Holding the sea back. Literally the only functioning part of Gotham. He tears it down. Gotham. He blows up what holds the Hudson River in, but then the exterior <laughs> shots are Chicago. But then also it's Gotham. And that's something I, I did want to talk about is I always, you know, growing up in the whole DC universe, I thought Metropolis was supposed to be New York City. And I thought that Gotham was supposed to be Chicago because it's another large city and it's obviously not in LA. It, it's, you know, I very much thought it was Chicago. And that was kind of validated for me whenever I saw that they're filming the exterior shots in Chicago. So I'm like, okay, my entire life has not been a lie. And then I see Gotham square garden as in like Madison square garden in New York city. And I said, what the fuck? Where, what is, what city is this based on? I'm so confused. That's, that's why I love the fucking DC universe so much is that it's our world, but bigger. There's just cities where there shouldn't be like, where the fuck is Metropolis? Where is Gotham? Where is Central City? Where the fuck are these places? I, I always saw it as a sort of duality. Um, Metropolis being sort of the bright side of New like New York with like the hustle and bustle and like the high energy, like everything's happening. And then it's like Manhattan. and then Gotham being like the dark side of New York, of like the crime and the poverty and the corruption and everything. Like they're both inspired by New York, but by very differing sort of like sides of it. Yeah. And it's worth noting that New York and all that and Chicago exist in the DC universe alongside Gotham and Metropolis. So they're it, not like so it's bullshit. They're, not, <laughs> they're not replacements of those cities. They exist with those cities it's not bullshit um it's better than than marvel where everything just happens in new york city like there's nowhere else that anyone goes yeah i think west coast avengers get the fuck out of here nobody gives a fuck (laughs) about the west coast avengers shut up if i remember correctly the inspiration for gotham in the comics was chicago and new york like visually so my entire life hasn't been a lie i've been no no i've been somewhat validated no it it has not been a lie which i guess i don't know if it it would have the flooding i guess it still would the impact that the hudson would if it came in on new york city but i mean chicago is on lake michigan i believe 
Yeah, it's on Lake Michigan. So if Lake Michigan came in throughout the city of Chicago, it still would be devastating. So, oh yeah, I mean we both we've both been there and we've yeah. <laughs> the water is right the water is right there. Literally, <laughs> like you're you're driving on and there's a water. major yep. highway and there's Lake Michigan. You look to your right and it's like, oh shit. And it looks like the goddamn ocean because it's so huge. It's huge. That's true. Yeah. So I guess I guess it could have easily been inspired by them tearing the infrastructure that holds Lake Michigan in place. So but I guess I was I just pictured it being the Hudson the way it was I don't know. Well, just it. An- anyway, <laughs> sorry, that was just a, it was a tangent. I, I apologize. That's, this show's like 90% tangents anyway. It, tangents it are usually the better part of the material, to be honest. Also true. Fucking T2 out here getting all geographical about Gotham and Chicago and all that shit. I just love <laughs> Chicago. Point to it on the map. So where to now? That kind of finishes the main plot. Is there anything we need to go back and hit? Uh, the Batmobile. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We have to talk about the Batmobile. <laughs> okay, let me pop off first. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it also brings me back to another point I wanted to make, but um, didn't have the time. The action in the movie, what I appreciated about it is that like all the fighting and hand-to-hand combat, it hurts. It looks like it hurts. It's not like fuck yeah kind of fighting like in most superhero movies Mm -hmm. there's only one fuck yeah raise your fist kind of action scene in this movie and that's the motherfucking batmobile (laughs) you you see it alluded to multiple times before it's big reveal you see an engine block here or or the or the chassis draped in in a shroud in the background in the bat cave there's there's a point midway through the movie where batman and catwoman are there um trying to fuck up the penguins plans shooting starts and Batman disappears and Catwoman goes her own way. The buildup to it. First you hear it. And it, it's another thing that plays into the whole fear of Batman. It sounds, it sounds like a fucking alien jet. It just, the sound of a jet. And then I'm going to expand on that so much. Like, it's like, it's like if Godzilla was a car, this Batmobile and he just revs it. And the it's scary. Like the Batmobile is genuinely scary. If that thing came revving at me out of a dark alley, I would shit my pants. <laughs> and the way Matt Reeves shoots this chase, he locks the camera to the side of the Batmobile. And like just the way it looks, it's so visceral and you, you feel the atmosphere of the highway and the rain and the darkness and it's just so cool. It's like the real only moment of like rule of cool in the movie. Yeah. Penguin causes a crash. There's explosions. And you see it in the trailer. And even though the trailer ruins it, it's still so fucking awesome in the movie itself. Penguin thinks he's got him. He's like, I got you. Yeah, I got you. And then it just fucking roars through the flames. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> This is so cool. This is like, this is 10 year old Tyler geeking out. So fucking cool. Oh, love it. Best Batmobile scene in a Batman movie. I am. That's I'm declaring that as great as they've been in previous Batman movies. This, this one takes the call. Yeah. Honestly, I agree. 1 million percent to me. This is the best sounding Batmobile I've ever heard. And the reason I say that is, all the other Batmobiles sound like Hollywood making a sound effect of what they think the Batmobile would sound like. This Batmobile sounds like you took a real souped up to the absolute max car and had the real engine sound and just ramped it up and cranked up the volume from the first time you hear it, just like really rev up. 
I mean, there's just something like for me, like you felt that adrenaline of, oh, hell yeah, let's do this. And then it's like Tyler said, you see it. And I had this moment where like, you just want to stand up and just be like, let's fucking go (laughs) as it, as it like roars on the screen and it's aesthetically, it looks really cool. The, uh, the action scene, I agree. Best action scene, you know, of a Batmobile in these movies, but it's the sound that makes it for me. Is it because it sounds like a realistic, just bad out of hell, no pun intended, coming at you on the oh, highway. Pun intended, pun intended. And <laughs> it, it, it was, it was, this is some of the best and, and people would probably not think about this at all because when you think of great sound design, I don't think you would think of one car in a movie, but for me, it's some of the best sound design I can think of that I've heard in a long time. Like it just, it sounds so just badass. That's the only way I can describe it. Yes. Uh, see, we Thank not, you. We, we do not uh, care about sound design here. Hey, shut Time up. Geek. You interrupt. I, yes, we do. I was not, thank not you in too. films, but in the quality of our audio. Oh. Hey, th- th- this is the first pod with my new mic. So hopefully we sound, at least I sound infinitely You're better. You're still when coming this, through Discord, so you'll sound a bit better. But yeah, we'll, we'll but anyway, can make your point. I was just going to say thank you, T2, for getting nerdy and talking about sound design because that is so much of movies in general, and especially action, um, is, is the sound. And the way they empathize, empathize, emphasize the sound in that particular scene is just... Grateful um, to be in a good theater that had excellent, you know, an excellent speaker system, excellent sound, and it was loud already. The movie in general was loud in this theater. So when that scene hit, I mean... The place is rattling, but it was awesome. Let, let me compare it to something real quick. And I know we're harping on the same thing, but we've harped this whole time. I'm not a gearhead at all, so I'm, I'm not trying to come off like some kind of car nut. But my dad and I and his buddies used to go to the track every once in a while with his, uh, with his buddies when I was a kid. And the sound of those cars when they'd go off the line was fucking awesome. Yes, and see, that's what I'm saying. It sounds realistic. Yeah, this reminded me of that turned up to 11 yes 100 that's what and that's what i'm saying is as someone who's been to a lot of races with their dad in their life of a lot of different levels all the way from local dirt tracks to professional and everything in between it it sounded like those cars which is what you would think the batmobile would be it would have some kind of like incredible souped up engine like that and i think that's what really got me is the fact that it sounded so realistic let me put it in a, in perspective here as far as sound design in movies. Have both of you seen the Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg, War of the Worlds movie? No. You haven't seen it? Isaac, have you seen it? Nope. No. Oh, man. <laughs> Thanks for well, perspective, Tyler. <laughs> I'm not done yet. Okay. That movie, it has its issues, but it's incredible on an audio and visual and suspense level because the entire buildup to the reveal of the alien tripod in that movie is a masterclass in tension and suspense and suspense building. When it's, when it, when the first one rises up out of the ground, it lets out this haunting, like blaring horn blast sound. And when I heard that in the theater, that sound, just the sound itself scared the shit out of me. And it's not often just sounds have that kind of visceral reaction, visceral reaction in, in movies. The Batmobile revving up in this movie reminded me of that all the way back then seeing that movie in 2005. That's that's how effective I think the technical craft of that scene is, just to put that out there. 
And uh, watch War of the Worlds. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's a cool car. <laughs> yeah, I think okay. you guys talked about every possible aspect of this vehicle that I have <laughs> literally nothing else to add. It looks... <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> hey, that, that's what being a nerd is about, harping on shit that some people will be like, what the fuck, shut up about no, the thing. No, I'm happy. I'm just like, I feel a little left out because you guys took everything in regards to this <laughs> specific topic. Oh, and another thing I like is that you, you don't see oh, the interior Oh, never mind, you did have it. another point. <laughs> I like how you never see the interior of it. You know, you don't see his like dashboard with like knobs and screens and gears or anything it's just when he's in it it's just the car yeah you know it's like he becomes the car almost oh so good so good we can move on from the batmobile now okay what else do you want to hit <laughs> we're kind of going back at this point we're jumping around I, do you want to do overall thoughts before we jump into the yeah yeah other you stuff? got no other specific stuff you want to hit yeah we can go ahead and do final thoughts point one uh, i realize i asked for final thoughts like maybe three times before we actually <laughs> end the episode i absolutely love the movie i really wanted to see it a second time before we did this but i just couldn't get to it the more i think about it the better it becomes i love everything about it the the cast the the visual filmmaking the, the technical aspects of it the the way the emotions creep up on you and and hit you in the gut when you don't expect it. The character arc for Batman, the just oh, it's it's the Batman movie I didn't think we would get, but we got. That T thought it was absolutely fantastic. I love that it was so dark. I thought Robert Pattinson blew my expectations away as Batman. Uh, not so much as Bruce Wayne, but I still didn't think he did. Give him time. It's his arc. It's his arc. And give him time. But is this part of a series? Or are we just? Are we done with this one? Uh, they've talked about a trilogy. They want to make a trilogy. So we're definitely getting more at some point. So yeah, him as Batman really, really enjoyed. I'm trying to think of a Batman actor that I actually hated in the role. And I kind of can't. George so, Clooney. All right. Yeah, it's but it's not, it's not his fault though. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not his fault. It's, it's just bad writing, but yeah. Is he okay. dead? That's, George Clooney is not dead. No. No. I'm thinking of I, Sean Connery. Sean Connery's dead. Yes. Oh, Sean yeah. Sean Connery has shuffled off this mortal coil. Yes. Has George Clooney been in anything in like a decade? Yeah. He's been in stuff. Um, it's more like indie thrillers and stuff like that. He's more of a producer now. Okay. Actually, Rowlett just just made me want to shout out a hot take here. Hot he said. I'm trying to think of a, of a Batman that I really hate. Now, I don't hate this actor as Batman. I don't. I absolutely love one movie he's in, but I'm not the biggest Christian Bale guy as Batman. Ooh. Yeah. Yep. I love Batman Begins. Now, is that, is that maybe your... my favorite Batman movie? Um, it's not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> is this your indictment of the Nolan trilogy or of Bale himself? Both. And I, I hate comparing. I don't I don't I'm not trying to make this a comparison between the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises to the Batman. Ooh, hot, I will hot let take. I will lay it out there that since 2008, when the Dark Knight came out, I was disappointed in it. I was never the biggest fan of it. And Bale, looking back on him and watching the movie after a while and not having seen it, he's kind of really fucking goofy in the role. His, his, his voice has been memed to death since the movies came out, but in like a joking way. 
But like, if you watch them again, his his cancerous throaty. It's it's funny. It's it's unintentionally really goddamn goofy, and I can't take him serious at all. Oh, oh we could have pop. It's so hot a take. <laughs> like oh, bacon sizzling that hot take. Because <laughs> people time. love the dark night. I know they do, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be contrarian. I'm not. We'll get to it. it. We'll get to I it. Don't, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's a very great movie. If only we had a time machine to go get Val Kilmer and put him in the Dark Knight. Same cast, same everything, but it's early '90s Val Kilmer playing Batman. Val Kilmer is a very good Batman. He's an excellent Batman. That's I'm not making a joke. Yeah, oh, I like, thought you were making a joke. No, like, imagine how cool that would be. Imagine early '90s Val Kilmer in the Dark Knight. Uh, man, what if we just pulled all of our favorite actors from all of the different Batman films and then just put them into one? You mean a Batverse? No, I was actually saying like you take this Joker. And you take this Riddler and you take this Alfred. But yeah, Batverse 2, I guess. <laughs> Marvel's already doing the fucking multiverse to death. So let's, why the fuck not? Let's just we're, let we're, we're kind of already it. getting We're kind of already getting a Batverse in the Flash movie. God so. damn it. <laughs> I'm so ben sick Affleck of the multiverse. <laughs> I'm so sick of the way to shout out how much I love Val Kilmer as Batman. Thank you for giving Val Kilmer props because he deserves it. And I really dislike how Batman Forever gets unfairly lumped in with Batman and Robin. Um, because if they're two totally different movies. Yes. Batman Forever is far better. Far better. And the internet needs to wake up to that fact. Uh, what the fuck were we talking about? Oh, ba- final thoughts, I guess. <laughs> yes, final thoughts. <laughs> um, I guess I kind of said all I've got to say about it. I really enjoyed this movie. I'm worried about where it is a longer movie and it is like a detective mystery story. I am worried that it's going to lose some value with rewatches because you take those out and it is a very dry movie. There is some humor beneath the surface. It's very dry humor. Thumb drive. There's good action in this, but it's very spaced out because like a lot of the focus is on the mystery detective story. So I'm worried that like, once the detective story becomes, you know, wrote to me, I'm going to lose interest in this film. But we'll see. You know, that's something that can only be said with time uh, as it is. I really enjoyed it. it. Held my attention the entire time. I've got it brought up some questions about Batman as a franchise, <laughs> not just in this film, uh, but this film in particular. I, I've got to agree. It's one of, if not the best Batman movies I've watched. All right. We have a pretty good consensus. Awesome. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that one of the three of us didn't hate it because that would be one hell of a fight. It's <laughs> if it, See, when you and me hate something, it's fine when it's 1v1. But if it's 2v1, that's just rough. That's just rough <laughs> for the poor bastard who's stuck in the middle. Yeah. I will say this. Adding to my final thought, since we kind of got into a mess and never got to really wrap it up. It really kept my attention all three hours, and I really enjoyed all three hours. I still would have cut 30 minutes off of this movie somehow. You can't cut 30 minutes off of this movie without making it incoherent. I think you can. No, you can't. Movies are made with a certain cadence and a certain style to how the shots are set up and how the story plays out and how the editing is. Like, 
you can't just willy nilly cut thirty minutes out of a movie and have it play the same. Now, for context, audience, this is the same person who loves the Justice League re-release, where it's like four fucking. Oh, hours you long. mean Zack Snyder's Justice League, the movie that most so, people really, really liked? Uh, they never watched it. It's and it's the time. It's the so runtime. That, long. That's what gets it's, you. It's, 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 it's on. It's released on streaming. It's broken up into chapters. You can watch however little or as much as you want in one sitting. It's not like you're forced to watch you all say four that fucking about hours at once. Anything. I know. So why is it a problem? Why is it a problem? Let's just release ten-hour films then. Yes. Why not? There are ten-hour films. Oh fuck me! Oh. Never. I don't. Care. All right. Fine. You know what? <laughs> no. Like a literal nightmare for me in every single aspect of I it. Would reading kill yeah, but you'll sit there and you'll binge an entire season of The Office in a night. Oh. Actually, no. Let's let's talk about the difference between binging a series versus a long movie real quick, because I don't know where we're gonna have this discussion otherwise. I think the reason it's easier for me to binge a series versus watching a long movie is that it's multiple plots in a series. Yes. It's like multiple smaller pieces that I can consume rather than one long story. And even though Justice League has chapters or what the fuck ever, it's still one long story. Like you get the dopamine hit of like your brain says, oh, we finished an episode. We've completed something. Yeah, Let's here's start a, a quick resolution. Here's a quick resolution. Here's a quick resolution. Here's a quick resolution. Yes. Yeah. You get these get smaller that. fixes that like help you like keep going because you're getting the satisfaction instead of that constant build to one big climax. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But Bleh. so much of television now is serialized it's not episodic so even though you just finished an episode and it might tell its own stories in that episode the story's still ongoing there's still no resolution you know but it's still an episodic structure even the most serialized of television series have an episodic structure where there is an internal like beginning middle end usually with a cliffhanger at the end that leads into the next episode most television series even when they're serialized storytelling that have overarching stories for an entire season or even the entire series, you're still going to get that. Like we start here, we reach a sort of conclusion that prepares us for the next episode's beginning. Like that's just due to the format itself. I don't know. I just, I, I guess cause I'm the movie guy and I have this undying loyalty to the art form of, of film that I just, a movie is as long as it needs to be. It could be 90 minutes. It could be five hours. I'm I'm down for it all if I like it now that's or if it. I'm interested in it. And we don't talk about many video games on this show because you don't play many. But like I've played 100 plus hour games and like sat on my ass for a good 12 hours a day for about a month straight playing through them. But yeah, like, you were kind of dead to the world when uh, Breath of the Wild came out. Yeah, I had about a good two weeks where there was nothing else. <laughs> but I feel See, like I that's also a matter of like interaction because you're playing the video game. You're in it. My opinion on long video games has changed as an adult because now I'm an adult who works 40 hours a week and has other <laughs> responsibilities. So I don't want a hundred hour game. 
with all the Batman hype and the Batman enjoyment I've had mm-hmm. for the first time ever, I'm playing through Arkham Asylum. Yeah. And I'm, I'm already like halfway through it and I've only been at it for, you know, a few hours and I'm like, this is what I want. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't have, I don't have time to put in Skyrim hours or, yeah. you know, a game of that, that scale. So see, I, I, I love getting that sucked in feeling of just being like, I'm in this world and like I am in this plot and I'm going to cover every last fucking inch of this thing before I get out. God, that, this I did get into Breath of the Wild, though, and it, oh my god, it's so, so good. Oh, <laughs> can't wait my for the sequel. Beating that game, I felt like I had done something. Like I, I felt <laughs> like, my god, I have completed something huge. This has been our Breath of the Wild review. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I love how this speaks to how people engage with different forms of entertainment and how different generations have different perspectives. Different generations. (laughs) (laughs) You old fuck. (laughs) No, I mean, tell me it's not true though. Tell me it's not true. Yeah. Tyler, you can watch your five hour foreign films on your laser discs. You kids (laughs) with your Nintendo. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Your super Mario's. God damn it. You say what you say one thing and they jump up your asshole. Yeah, my fr- my friend, my young friend Isaac, he plays the Skyrim the on his lab. You kids and your goddamn Game Boy colors. <laughs> Take I say, your Tamagotchi and get out of here. What I meant to say was how people interact with their preferred mediums and how they perceive it against other mediums is really interesting. Absolutely. Like what you what you just said about video games, getting sucked into that world, every detail. Mm-hmm. I'll do it for 12 hours a day. I'm there like, that's just, that's too exhausting for me. That's just too frustrating for me. I, I want the experience of watching something and mm-hmm. experiencing that world and, and the details and what it's saying, how it's grabbing me emotionally, what the filmmaking's like and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just interesting how people how they how they perceive their preferred mediums it's why i've got really mixed feelings on the very prominent trend on youtube of like streaming video games just as like the cutscene movies you can just like look up a movie of all the cutscenes bled together of basically any story driven video game now and like on the one hand i'm like yeah that's good because there are people who don't really like that sort of immersive experience of video games and they can still witness these amazing stories and this amazing craftsmanship that went into this storytelling. But on the other hand, it's like you're missing such a fundamental part of the experience of being in control of the main character and like guiding the narrative through their actions. It's like, ah, oh, it's it's such a mixed bag for me because it's like on the one hand, I'm glad that it's helped video games gain prominence and led to more story driven games. But on the other hand, it's like. You're missing out. You're missing out the most integral part of the gaming experience, which is the active engagement. It's just it's just funny because you say how you could binge a show or play a game for much longer. It's different than a long movie. And I'm here like, but how it's like I don't get it. But it's it's just how we perceive the medium, how it engages us, because it's a different type of engagement. Yeah. So. Maybe in my boomer brain, I can't understand how some young whippersnappers can sit there and play a game for 12, 13 hours, mm-hmm. but get get pissy at a two hour, 45 minute movie. It, it is what it is, you know? 
Yeah, old man. Time to pop in DVD number two of Titanic, or sorry, VHS number two of Titanic. <laughs> hey, dude, I wore that shit out as a kid. Was it the, the first tape or the second tape where Kate Winslet uh, um, hung chesticles? It was the first tape. It was the first tape? Okay. <laughs> I guarantee you thousands and thousands of those VHS tapes were really warped around that part. <laughs> That's a very That's worn what, scene. People would rent from Blockbuster or wherever probably, and like the tape would be playing fine. And when it got, you know, to the close to that part, they would just be like, ah, oh, man, we adjust the tracking. Like something, <laughs> something's wrong. And then they're like, Oh, cause it's been rewound and fast forward. so many times. <laughs> that's, that's what happened with um, fast times at Ridgemont high. I'm, I, I'm just going to be a, an ass and say, I know Isaac hasn't seen it. Have you seen it? Oh, oh shit. No. T2. You. <laughs> God damn it. Fuck you on two it. levels. I god damn it. I've got to edit these things. I gotta get one of those fucking clicker things. I went use. so long without doing it. And uh, oh yes, well, was that a I've seen, seen it? it? That's a movie that's right up my alley. <laughs> the uh, the famous pool the scene pool where scene. Yeah. she pops the boobies out. God damn it. Now I'm um, paranoid that we've been saying his real name the whole we, we day. We haven't. Okay. No, we haven't. We haven't. Continue. People people would come up to the director and like say i worked at a, a video rental place and every goddamn copy of that movie was fucking a warped mess just in that scene because people would rent it pa- pause that scene rewind it play it <laughs> the lengths people had to go to to to, to fap off back at back then we've come oh, a long so sad. way <laughs> so sad come a long way it's a golden age of porn and uh, it's the, the 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 actress who showed her chest in the movie is Kate from Gremlins. So you can imagine that I felt really weird when I saw Fast Times at Ridgemont High for the first time, having grown up with Gremlins and seeing the character of Kate show her chest. So I was just like, uh, I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> this is weird. She's so hot. <laughs> So anyway, this has been our follow-up review of Gremlins. Um, <laughs> should we get into review review? I uh, I had nerd ethics, but I think I kind of just brought it into the regular review yeah. point. I don't think there's really... I mean, there's probably I mean, a lot of ethical stuff to consider if you've got one to toss in. We've talked so much politics and ethics already, but I, I read your notes. Didn't you have something down there about what realistically batman could do yes or something like that have one so into this film batman's whole arc has been like moving from this idea of vengeance to being a more of a heroic figure what does that look like you know what does bruce not just batman but bruce wayne who is a genius billionaire with tons of resources what does he really do if he wants to help gotham because the whole beating up guys in dark's alleys angle clearly isn't working where does he go if he wants to fix this corrupt crime riddled city well there's two prongs or possibly three prongs to this there is i'm I'm assuming you're asking sort of outside of the realm of comic book storytelling like realistically nerd nerd ethics is sort of like jumping in combining our real world ethics with these fantasy settings yes well first i would say that there's a hot take on social media that some of it's a joke but some of it's real and it pisses me off to no end where people love to be like, Batman's just a, a fascist billionaire who loves to beat up mentally ill poor people. And I'm like, 
spoken like somebody who hasn't actually read a goddamn Batman comic in their life. Because if you have, Bruce Wayne is always helping Gotham through funds, through housing projects and charities and all kinds of stuff, infrastructure. Now, granted, if you wanted to take it to the very political end, um, you can't really have superheroes fix problems indefinitely because then you don't have comic books anymore. Because if they fix the problems in a permanent way, then where's the story? But the take that Batman doesn't really do anything or Bruce Wayne doesn't do anything with all of his power and influence is just false because he always does. He has since the inception of the character. So can I ask a very practical? He, he already does that thing, and <laughs> he does help. Can I ask a very practical question, though? And this is yes. coming from someone who doesn't know much about Batman lore. The fuck does Wayne Enterprises do? It, what is it their depends. business? <laughs> <laughs> what do they like? Stark Industries. I get it. It's like leading edge technology. What What does Wayne Enterprises do? You know, that's a very good question because it's kind of. Up in the air. It depends on the continuity. Um, usually, Thomas it's like Wayne, Wayne like Tech. a doctor. He's like a surgeon? usually. Yeah, he. Um, Thomas Wayne was a doctor. Wayne Enterprises is usually like a tech firm, a tech company. Like, what would Wayne Enterprises have been? It's, 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 it's just. It's usually just characterized as like a multinational, whatever. So basically, it it's not detailed unless the writer who's writing it wants you to have details on what Wayne Enterprises is doing. So just generic business that does everything because it owns everything. Yes, just a generic multinational, basically. Yeah, I, I can't see why anybody would have a trouble rooting for a guy who runs that kind of business. That's not the point. I'm just saying, <laughs> That's not the point. compared to real-world examples, I can understand. I know, but this people. isn't the real world. Isn't the entire point of superhero fiction is that, God damn it, things can be a little better. Yes. People can be a little better. Like it's It's just getting a little and little harder to root for a good guy billionaire. <laughs> I know, and I understand that, but I cannot let this fucking world we live in <laughs> kill Batman. Batman for me. I'm not going <laughs> to let it happen. I'm not going to let it happen. Uh, so what was the answer to that question? Like, what, is, what does oh, he do um, to fix Gotham? Like, my glib answer was do what he does in the comics. It. Just read the comics. Okay. Um... <laughs> And he also, you That's know, what he, should do. He, should, he should read the comics in advance <laughs> so he knows what's going to happen and he can stop those crimes. He also believes in rehabilitation because it's comics. Re rehab doesn't necessarily stick with most of these characters. It doesn't, it doesn't stick sometimes. at all. <laughs> Jesus Christ. People are in and out of Arkham Asylum every 20 minutes. Somebody put a lock on that place. But he believes in it and he wants it to happen. There are some actual good counselors and therapists and psychologists. They're doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rough out there in, in Gotham City. <clears throat> um, in, in the animated series universe in the comics, uh, the Riddler reforms completely. Oh, good. And that, and doesn't, yeah. And I guess you can say Catwoman reforms. She starts off as a flat, you know, villainous thief and then becomes more of an anti-hero and then is pretty Harley, much a flat-out hero. Is Harley Quinn still an anti-hero right now? Or a full-blown hero? She's in, her, in her current run, I haven't read a lot of it yet, only the first couple issues. She is actually on a reformation journey as we speak. She is going around Gotham and making amends and apologizing to everybody that she is wrong. Oh, that sounds great. 
Oh, it's like my name is Earl with Harley Quinn. That sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Fuck, I forgot all about my name is Earl. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> let's do it. That's the next episode. My name is Earl. <laughs> oh boy. No, just that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> just Harley Quinn with a fucking handlebar mustache. <laughs> Hey man, he was a professional skateboarder. It's common, Mr. J. I know, I love Jason Lee. <laughs> I'm sorry, Killer Croc. I didn't mean to do that. It's common. <clears throat> uh, boy, Dot T, did you have any thoughts on this? Like, what should Bruce Wayne slash Batman do? No. You've messed me up with Harley Quinn. No thoughts, head empty. Nothing but handlebar mustache on Harley Quinn going around making amends. Oh, it's she's not above it. She's not above rocking a, a handlebar. Oh, no, it's her. And then, it's very her. Jamie Presley's playing the Joker for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, oh God. Now I want this. I want this match. I want it. Somebody draw it. One of our two fans draw this for us, please. Fuck. I guess that's it for nerd ethics. Just jump into review <laughs> review. Oh, God. Review review. All right. <clears throat> um, Did things a little differently this time. First off, let's do the ratings. Um, 85% tomato meter. 89% audience. Instead of doing general audience reviews, I've pulled some actual like critics from like some websites and magazines and shit so there's less of them but they're a little bit longer so we'll just go through a few of them first one is from stephanie zacharek from time uh the title of her review is the batman is dark real dark or so it wants us to think this is an excerpt from that. Now, almost all we ever get from comic book franchise movies, even from the best of them, a category into which the Batman may fall, is a sort of a melancholia such that darkness barely has meaning. The movie's Gotham is, as always, a semi-New York, but a New York that's perpetually having its worst night. The streets are swept with bitter rain. Subway evildoers skulk about, looking for unsuspecting victims. It's notable that the marker group of these thugs sees upon is an Asian man, a grim reflection of recent events on New York's real-life streets. A possible message lurking beneath the surface of the Batman is that Gotham, or America, is in its most sinister age. Ostensibly, that makes the Batman a film that dares to face up to the worst of human nature, but is packing some new bleak stuffing into an already established template really an act of reckoning? Batman is arguably the most brooding superhero, although it hasn't always been that way. The idea of Batman being fun or even having fun is now beyond the scope of our pinched imagination. The goofy, intentional innocence of Adam West as the drugged via orange juice Kate Crusader circa 1966, shaking a tail feather with a red-headed vixen on the dance floor, is now almost poignant. Three years after the assassination of JFK, just after the country stepped into a war with many young Americans didn't want in a nation waging a civil rights struggle that was long overdue, West defied the bleak mood of the time by bringing a meme to life, the Batman dance, that almost every person who has seen a gif now knows. The Batman dance is silly and inventive and wonderful, just as that series was. So I guess the point that this person was getting to was that, like, why is Batman so fucking bleak now? Like, can we not have a fun Batman anymore? I will contend, I believe she kind of said that the the dark and bleak template has, like, been set too much and is, like, the go-to for the genre, but it's not. 
like at all. Like the vast majority of comic book movies we have are the Marvel mold where they're brighter and more irreverent and funny. Mm-hmm. I do. I do sympathize with wanting a more fun Batman because I myself would love to see a more fun Batman movie come out. Because I like all I, I love all versions of Batman. I love the dark, serious, brooding Batman, and I love the campy, goofy Batman. Like my perfect Batman movie now, like I would love him to be sort of like the swashbuckling, mostly well-adjusted, like no nonsense kind of man of action kind of Batman that he was in the '70s in the comics. I would love that kind of Batman movie. So I can see, like, because of the times we're living in, oh, I hate saying that, because of the times we're living in, how this movie just might not be somebody's cup of tea, you know, like, just like, mm-hmm. oh, again. But I think this movie does enough to set itself apart from the other dark and serious Batman movies, like the Nolan trilogy, to be its own thing. I think there's a place and time for a superhero movie that's more lighthearted, more humorous. Perfect example. I just watched Suicide Squad and I also just watched, and it's not a movie, but I just watched The Peacemaker Show. And it's, you know, opposite on almost every level to this movie. And I think they both work, but I don't necessarily want Batman in a serious major Hollywood movie with, you know, that kind of, of like jovial funness. I like the darkness because I think it really made for a more powerful movie in this. And we've had fun versions of Batman in the past. You know, when she brought up, uh, you brought up the 60s Batman. But think about like the Justice League cartoon we grew up with. You know, that was a more fun, jovial Batman just by the nature of it being a cartoon. But I think more, more of, snarky Batman. Uh, yeah. A quippy, humorous Batman. Not like Spider-Man quippy, but dry quippy. Right. And, you know, I think that there's a place and time for it. And I don't think this was it. I don't think this was the place for a more fun Batman. I, I like the dark brooding, serious, at, at times scary Batman. So that's my opinion. Yeah. I'm very in the same boat. Um, I think this movie in particular feels like the culmination of the dark Batman sort of tone we're going for. Like I said, I think Pattinson as Bruce Wayne looks like a little emo bitch and I love it <laughs> because like, it feels like, okay, we're just embracing whole hog that this is going to be an edgy, dark, brooding movie, and we're not going to apologize for it. So I think I like that in this film. And I will also counter by saying there is some fun Batman media out there right now, or at least in recent years, the Harley Quinn television show. It was still very, very violent. Yes. And Batman himself wasn't super like fun and loving and everything. But the tone of the show overall was very irreverent, very similar to Suicide Squad, where it was just, you know, irreverent fun in the Batman universe. Also, Lego Batman. God, how old is that movie now? Do not tell me the. Uh, there we go. Please it's do a perfect not tell me. But the Lego, Lego Batman movie, which came out in the 2010s, was a it's very it's a it's a Batman parody, but also a very good Batman movie. That's super Story. fun. Yeah. It's a yeah. people kind of forget it just because it's like an animated Lego movie, but no, it's a Batman movie. I would love know? a sequel to that too. Where I would love a sequel to Lego Batman. It it's fucking great. It's so fun, so irreverent, and just it takes all of these tropes around the character and plays with them in fun new ways. It's it's so good. So yeah, yeah, there are ways to do fun Batman, and they've been done. I think this person just isn't aware that like 
I think this person's looking exclusively at the large budget, like live Live action action. Batman films and thinking that's all we're doing with Batman. Like Batman's a multimedia franchise. Like there's all kinds of stuff going on with this character in various formats. Mm -hmm. Key wrecked. Next one comes from Christy Puchko, I guess, at Mashable. The title of their review is a crime thriller suffocated by PG-13 demands. It's sort of a point I was bringing up earlier. Uh, Christy says there is violence, but the hardest blows are either off screen or obscures by shadow rain or a purposely blurred focus. This is a PG-13 movie. After all, it has to be because Batman is a property that's so popular that even Christopher Nolan couldn't get an R rating for his Dark Knight trilogy. Of course, it's possible to have effective violence without showing it or the gore it creates. Reeves doesn't manage this. To his credit, he comes up with a cavalcade of ways to imply extreme violence without showing it. These include playing an audio tape of a pivotal murder and cutting wide to cinematographer Greg Frazier's precisely framed long shots. So visually striking, you might be too dazzled to think about why he's cutting away. Still, when a core element of the movie is exploring what violence is acceptable, say Batman punching out a bunch of knockout game-playing gang members... And which is too far, everything the Riddler does, the point is muddled when you don't truly exhibit the latter. It's not only the the violence where the Batman feels tamed, though. As hinted above, the sexuality of this film pales in comparison to Tim Burton's Batman Returns, which reveled in a BDSM aesthetic and giddily Bruce Wayne and (laughs) Selina Kyle making out. Here, they'll kiss and flirt fight with all the stiffness of Barbie and Ken dolls. Meanwhile, there's a hint that Selena might be queer or bi or pan, considering how she coos over a female cohort, calling her baby over and over again. But perhaps to avoid the well-documented biases of the ratings bestowing MPAA, she also repeatedly refers to this character as her friend. The most hilarious instant of PG-13 pandering involves the Penguin, who is a drug-peddling mafioso here. She goes on to talk about how the Penguin, Colin Farrell, tried to do the cigar but couldn't do it. So yeah, she's basically Um, saying like the PG-13 rating is holding this movie back. uh, I don't want to retread what we already talked about about it. I just, I don't agree. And I want to compare it to... The Dark Knight, and even though I just said I didn't want to do that, the way the violence and the implication of violence is shot in the Batman, it's far better than how it's shot in the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is edited around the violence to within an inch of its life, almost to the point where you almost don't understand what happened. There's a scene where the Joker's talking to some goons, and he's got a knife to somebody's face. He like finishes one of his, you know, I got these scars speech, and then there's like a big sting of violent music. And then in like a cut and then the guy just kind of drops. You you don't even really see like the motion of Joker's arm with the knife making the slashing. He's just like, it's like shot, talking to it, knife there, musical sting, reverse shot, the guy drops. Like it's kind of jarring. And the same thing happens again where he shoves the pencil into the guy's head in his introduction scene. Like it's edited so tightly, it's almost disorienting. Because the violence is so, it's like anesthetic. There's not a drop of blood to be seen. But with the Batman, the camera lingers a little bit more. The shots are more steady. The editing is more calm. When it obscures it, it obscures it in just the right way where you understand the implication perfectly, even without seeing it. And I hate to bring up the old cliche because I half agree with it, half I don't. But I will weaponize it to use my point. What you don't see is often just uh, scarier, scarier than what you don't see. So I really don't think the movie. I know what you meant. Yeah, I I really don't think the the movie has any problems with the PG thirteen rating. I think it pushed it right up to the edge, and I think it did it pretty much perfectly. What you think, Dot T? Any new thoughts? Not really. I still I think that 
I don't think the movie really needed to go that much farther, especially with like the violence or anything. I, I mean, I don't know what else you could have added that would have been like, yeah, let's make it rated R. Cause like, I feel like it almost could have got the R rating as is at some points. Yeah. I, th- I think it was the perfect level of darkness and violence and everything in between. I don't want to hear Batman swearing the entire movie either. That would just be weird. I'm the motherfucking Batman. Yeah. And you know, like, like oh, we've got the R oh, rating. Let's God, go like that it. Teen Titans show that was like Robin says, fuck Batman. <laughs> oh God, Titans. I had such high hopes for that show. <laughs> I brought this point up earlier, so I won't retread it much. I think this could have been rated R. I think it should have been rated R. And the fact that the fucking sexuality was toned down in order to meet like industry standards just pisses me the hell off. Not that I needed a heavy sex scene, but the fact that like, you know, we can't get sexual representation without getting an R rating is just it's fucking bullshit. But anyway, moving on. Last one's from Mick LaSalle from Datebook. Uh, Mick says this is the title. I don't know. It's one of the ones that showed up in Rotten Tomatoes. It's one of the top reviewers from Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know what the fuck date book is, but this is what they uh, add. Fair enough. People don't know what the fuck Tongue and Geek is. So (laughs) There you go. And we're the biggest names. (laughs) Title of this review was Robert Pattinson is a big mopey stiff as the Batman. (laughs) The excerpt is Reeves, who co-wrote the script, seems to have decided something going into this picture. Make it dystopian. Make it a commentary on American discontent. Create a parallel world that reflects our world, etc., etc. He comes up with a knockoff of Joker, only without the wit and without the great performance. Just a flimsy idea that everything is awful, corrupt, and rotten. And he assumes that this concept is so deep and profound that he needs three hours to develop it. Uh, The fundamental mistake of the Batman is that it postulates a world in which there are no good guys and no bad guys. This is an artistic mistake in that it misunderstands the dramatic wellspring of all action and superhero movies. But it's also bad luck in that the Batman is being released at one of those frightening junctures in world history in which good and evil are no longer abstract concepts. There's a case to be made that the freakishness of Batman's self-presentation, that is the costume, is actually causing the emergence of equally freakish villains. This is probably the movie's intention, but it's a self-defeating one. Equally self-defeating is the notion that the Riddler is killing only corrupt government officials. As soon as Reeves gets himself into a situation where the villain has his reasons and the victims weren't so nice anyway, he takes anything resembling a moral struggle out of the movie. What does that leave him? Well, if you eliminate from the Batman the good versus evil struggle, the only grounding point of focus can be on Bruce Wayne Batman's internal conflict, his woundedness, his confusion, his desire to do good. But no, as written by Reeves and his collaborators and as played by Pattinson, he's just a big stiff. His performance doesn't suggest deaths, but an actor's cramped understanding hammered over and over for three hours. Uh, I don't know where to start with that because... I disagree with virtually every single thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What he said about it not having good guys or bad guys, just I'm just like, I <laughs> I don't know how you can fundamentally misunderstand and misunderstand something so much and get a review on Rotten Tomatoes about it like that, but <laughs> okay. It it sounds like I'm so I'm calling you out here, date book. Um it sounds like you wanted something more morally black and white than what you got. To be fair, like I said about the other review, if if the tone of this movie it just isn't something that vibes with you right now, like I mean that's cool. We all have those moments, but I just it just doesn't sound like you understood what you were watching. It definitely feels like they understood what they were watching, and I agree. The line with "there are no good guys and bad guys" like that's completely wrong, and I think 
we just, you know, we said you shouldn't let a child watch this, but I think even a child could watch this movie and be like, yeah, there are good guys and bad guys. And these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. And Catwoman kind of falls somewhere in between, but is still a good guy. Yeah. The, the Gordon is an unequivocal good guy. The whole movie. Right. Um, it's about the the main good guy, Batman, learning how to be a gooder guy, like a, an actual good guy. So like, I don't know, like that was that was a loaded review. And I kind of can't hit on everything yeah, just Mick, off of I reading hits it. on points of the movie that's like in there is like he talks about there's a case to be made. The freakishness of Batman self presentation is actually causing the emergence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No shit. Like, that's in the, that's the text. That's yeah. the that's the fucking resolution. But then when he, <laughs> but then when he talks about how like that's in there, it's supposedly a self defeating one, and then that's all. There's no description as to why it's self defeating. Why does that not work for you? The fact that Batman realizes he was the cause of these problems. I don't. I don't know. Maybe he wants Batman to be more clean in that, in that sense. Yeah. Like a, a clean beacon of heroics instead of somebody that is also contributing to this in, in his own way. This is also just I talked about earlier sympathetic villains and how Riddler loses that sympathy throughout the movie. And I feel like Mick's talking about real world comparisons and not seeing how the Riddler is this like 4chan alt-right self-proclaimed militia person as a villain, that seems like a huge oversight. If you're specifically talking about real world comparisons, I don't see how you don't catch that. Like, that's this sort of person that the Riddler is supposed to be imitating is this sort of like white male anger that we've talked about. And instead, he's painting him as like, no, he's just killing all the bad guys. And like, it's for no bad reason. He's a good guy until the very end where we have to make him a bad guy. It's like, no. He's killing <laughs> no, all the bad all. guys out of this very misguided sense of justice that we have seen in the real world by like this sort of like white male anger towards the whole world burn it all down mentality. Uh, I mean, yeah, just a just an off the mark review is really all I can say about it. Uh, that's all we're going to do for review review because each of those was pretty long. Uh, recommendations, I guess, is where we're at. Oh, God. Rex, um, Tyler, I know you don't care too much for Batman, but can you refer like a few things <laughs> for us? Well, sure. Um, I'll do some Batman Rex and some non-Batman Rex. Uh, I will recommend the graphic novels that inspired the movie, uh, The Long Halloween, Ego, and other stories, and Batman Year One. They're all very famous, very popular, and they're some of the biggest inspirations for the movie. So if you haven't read those, read those. Um, what else? I just feel like I should just recommend every Batman thing. That's awesome because there's so much. You ponder that dot T what you got for us. <laughs> oh, I wasn't God. done yet. Yeah, I well, wasn't ready. Let it go. <laughs> the movie was also very heavily inspired by films like David Fincher's seven and Zodiac and the film Chinatown and stuff like that. So if you haven't seen those thriller, serial killer, mystery films, definitely do it. Especially Zodiac and Seven. If you haven't seen those and you watch them, you'll be like, oh yeah, I can definitely see where the Batman got that from. I had to think of a good recommendation for this because I don't have a different Batman recommendation. Well, I guess uh, if you've never played the Batman Arkham video games and you're a fan of Batman and you're a fan of video games, I can recommend that uh, for sure. Yeah, because it's, you know, they're pretty, uh, pretty awesome. 
They got fucking and Mark Hamill as the Joker, like from the animated yeah, series. Isn't, isn't Kevin Conroy the voice of Batman, too? Yes, he is. So, I mean, that right there, if you enjoyed the Batman animated series, you're especially going to enjoy this. So that'll be my Batman recommendation for sure. I kind of did this last time. It's not super related, but it's still in the DC universe. If you haven't watched the Peacemaker series, I highly recommend it because it was absolutely amazing. If you want the opposite side of the DC series, of the DC universe, you want something more fun and uh, upbeat. I wouldn't really call it upbeat. (laughs) It's it's, It's full of of laughs. It's full of laughs, yeah, but it's really fucked up, just like the Suicide Squad was, because they're both from James Gunn. But uh, yeah, Um, and uh, if you were jonesing for more violence from the Batman, uh, the Peacemaker will definitely make up for that. Yeah, that's true. I've already given a couple of more lighthearted reviews with Lego Batman and the Harley Quinn show. Uh, Harley Quinn being very similar to Suicide Squad. Lego Batman obviously is targeted towards younger audiences, so you don't have to worry about like heavy duty violence in that one. But it's still a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm gonna re- I'm gonna recommend this. It's not an official licensed Batman thing, but uh, oh, no. just go on YouTube and Google Bat Metal, <laughs> <laughs> or not Google, watch uh, Bat Metal on YouTube. There's like three of them, I think. Yeah, three. Uh, yeah, just look up Bat Metal on YouTube and enjoy. Some of my favorite Batman content ever. <laughs> the Bat Metal music like videos. It's the beauty. Well, after this them. episode, we'll go ahead and show you those because it's the beauty of fan content. And God, it's so fucking funny and so good. Uh, let's rate the damn thing and be done with it. All right. I will give the Batman a million penguin without cigars out of a million Gotham flooded by villains. All right, that's it. I will give it 4.8 clear framed glasses out of five clear framed glasses. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give it two out of three riddles to solve before the bomb on your neck explodes. All right. All right. All right. That's same bat time, same bat channel. That's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you for joining us here at Tongue and Geek. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends, drop a like or a rating, and remember, don't throw your baby in the trash. <laughs>